Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> We're already off to a rough start here. Uh, I just heard my, my theme sound a little bit rough. I wonder if they're re-recorded or something. But uh, we'll, we'll check into that uh, at some point. Hopefully, I'll check the podcast. And if it sound, A lot of times, things sound rough for me for some reason, and that uh, in the podcast, they actually sound a lot better. Um, so, and then sometimes, you know, words cut out, things like that. I mean, this isn't a perfect science. You know, I'd love to have a multi-million dollar rec- recording studio, production studio, and be able to uh, send... Uh, you know, this out in pristine form to everybody, but the reality is, it's, you know, I got my iMac computer and a, a Yeti blue microphone and a, and a cheap headset, you know, and, and a lot of, uh, you know, wishful thinking. <laughs> That's kind of what puts this show together. So a lot is happening. There's some things I can't say quite yet, but they're really good. Uh, so I just want to make sure I'm going to confirm everything before I tell you. But uh, we have some uh, pretty amazing things happening uh, in the next little while. There's another Trump rally coming up Saturday, so that's going to be great to uh, to listen to. Um, we got the line, so I'm going to bring him right on right away uh, and tell him that uh, pretty much everybody's canceled for this morning. <laughs> hey, Pianchi, did uh, did my theme sound rough or did it actually sound okay? Our opening uh, music and my little speech there. Oh, I missed it by a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm all like one minute. <laughs> we literally just started. Yeah. Okay. So you're good. All right, I'll check it out. It just, you know, the, the weather's good here. I mean, obviously, uh, we got a little bit of extra wind. That's about all that we had for the effect from Hurricane Ian. But uh, we've got uh, people that are just, you know, there's some folks I'm curious about. Cal Wimdish is, is down in Orlando. Uh, I got a message out to him, but I, I don't expect people to call back right away. It's like when I was in the earthquake in San Francisco. Uh, of course, we didn't have the internet then, but people called for days. And they all thought it was dead. <laughs> you know, so now the phone lines are jammed. Nobody, nobody was getting through. So, you know, I tend to, to wait a while uh, until folks can uh, check back in. So what's up with you, sir? I've got, to, I've got a ton of uh, news and things to talk about since everybody canceled except, you know, Derek and my, uh, I guess, Jennifer in the, in the third hour. Oh, De- yeah, Derek is on, vac- on some type of a hiatus, isn't he? Vacation no, or something like that. no, he just, he, just, uh, he just enjoys his summers. You know, we have him the rest of the year, so uh, yeah, so he takes off and does stuff, and so that's cool. Um, you know, I mean, everybody here is still volunteering, and so I don't have any any claim on anybody's time, and I, you know, and I wouldn't anyway, just because you know, life is for for living and enjoying and doing stuff. Uh, so when, when people aren't here, that's just more time for me to do other stories, and so this is why I don't worry too much about mm-hmm. not covering things, because chances are somebody's going to have something come up. It's like, oh, I'll be back next week. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, Shirley's actually in in. Uh, near the path of the hurricane. I won't say exactly until she, you know, lets us know here, but she, uh, she's in a you know, place that got hit pretty, pretty hard. And so we're going to find out if she gets a chance to call in. She may not, uh, maybe not until next week. We'll probably find out, but uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, Amber's out. Amber's, you know, got college stuff. Um, Shirley's in a not great section of Florida. Um, Jim, Jim's moving. <laughs> you know, everybody's busy. <laughs> you know, this is when life gets going. You know, after Labor Day, people start doing stuff. So it's you and me for for an hour and a half, and then we have uh, Derek, and then we're going to talk butterflies, which is going to be kind of cool. We've got uh, my friend Jennifer Cooper Weber or Weber. I'll have to ask her. Um, I never call people by the last name, so I never know um, what's going on with butterflies. Is it butterfly house? Is actually a butterfly controversy, which I thought would be perfect for a Friday. Something lighthearted and you know, kind of cool. And I like butterflies. Who, who doesn't like butterflies, right? You know what I mean? 
especially when they land in your nose in one of those butterfly houses. So that's kind of cool. I've had that happen. <laughs> As a giant moth landed on my nose. It was hysteric. I'm looking at this thing. The wings are beating. It's looking at me. I'm looking at it. <laughs> it's like, hello? <laughs> what do you say to a moth on your nose that's like, you know, four inches across? It's, uh, it's kind of cool. Anyway, so that's the third well, one. Sure, as long as you shoo it off with your hand and not a 45. Well, I didn't shoo it off. I left it there. I was in a moth house, a butterfly house. I expect to be landed on. And I get landed on a lot. It's like, the, you know, animals like me. It's kind of funny. You know, I was in a, uh, when I was a kid, I was in Hawaii. I was like 10 years old. And there was this thing called Parrot Paradise. And it was this huge spiraling, spring-like shaped cascading boom. I mean, we're talking a big room. This is like, like the room is like 25 yards across. I mean, this was a big, big area. I mean, it was bigger than that, maybe 30 or 40. Well, anyway, it was big. And I was 10. <laughs> and so you walked in this huge, you know, circling spiral. You walk on the outside of the building. And there's a, like a couple of hundred macaws, <laughs> you know, in, in the middle of it. They're flying around. They've got enormous trees and things to fly on. But they can fly over the fence and talk to you and do stuff like that. So my, my folks left me, which was pretty characteristic of, of, uh, of the time. And I'm sitting there by myself, you know, standing against this fence looking at all these macaws. Well, then one flies up, you know, sits next to me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Then another flies up on the other side. I'm like, oh, <laughs> another one comes up and then another one. Pretty soon I had like 30 macaws, <laughs> you know, on the fence in front of me. So I'm backing away, right? I'm 10 years old. So then I start hopping on the floor. <laughs> I was basically cornered by about, it's about 50 macaws at this point. And they're, they're cackling and laughing. They're having a great time. And I'm kind of backing my way to the door and I actually ran out of there. And uh, related the story to my folks, like, no, no, it couldn't happen because you know, they didn't believe me. So, oh, no, really, trust me, this, this really, it, it made such an impact. I still remember it to this day. But, uh, yeah, so, the, so animals, yeah, they like me, sometimes too much. But uh, that was my experience with, uh, with macaws in Hawaii. You ever had, a, had an animal encounter like that? No, I can't say that I have. I oh, had okay. a uh, sunflower encounter. I was running along. <clears throat> in bushy area and all of a sudden came into a clearing and was surrounded with sunflowers and it was all looking at me. Well, that's beautiful. That's a great story. That's wonderful. I love sunflowers. They're huge and they're bright and sunny. Yeah. And they, and they have sunflowers they are. Even, in case people didn't know where they came from, <laughs> uh, which is most of the, I seeds are most of, what's that? The seeds are good. Yeah, they are. Yeah, I'm not sure where they are on the nutritional scale. Pumpkin seeds are actually better because they're full of zinc, and, and we guys need zinc. So I always eat pumpkin seeds. So there's, it's, get your natural zinc. It's good for you. Yeah. Taking your rocks. Anyway, so with our folks out uh, this week, I, I, I got a bunch of stuff, and there's tons of stories. Um, and there's stories behind the stories, and that's, that's where I like to go because I like to ask questions. I like to investigate, and I like to sort of think about stuff uh, and see what's going on. And that's where we covered the whole Nord Stream 2 pipeline for two hours yesterday with, uh, with uh, wonderful assistance and help from Pianchi. Uh, we were able to go through a lot of stories. And I think we really, you know, covered many of the, uh, the aspects of that that, uh, you know, the folks are kind of talking about now in little bits and pieces because news, it's so fragmented. You never get a whole story. And that's one thing I wanted for the show was to be able to spend the time on these stories to get enough depth. So by the time we've covered a story, it's covered. You know what's going on. We've, we've gotten all these different angles to it, and uh, it's much more comprehensive because we treat our, audiences, our audience with respect and intelligence, and so, uh, so that's how that works. But the coverage, the, um, I was talking about this yesterday a bit. I'm curious, Pianchi, your reaction, that you know what a hurricane does. You know, it's, it's 100, 150-mile-an-hour winds. It's a ton of rain. It's a storm surge. 
and and just like a tornado, things in the path of the hurricane get destroyed. You know, so we know that's going on. And then, of course, then they have the cameras coming afterwards. Oh, no, look how bad this was. It's this sensationalism that goes along with it. But then they get the weird stories. And the weird story, of course, is, well, this is global warming. Florida deserved it. They're a bunch of conservatives. You know, how can they ask for help from the government? They don't believe in government. And all this nonsense that is coming along with it that is just pretty horrendous. And so I kind of deal with a couple of those things. And then I have some interesting discoveries for you, um, one in particular, which I think is, is fascinating and you as a pilot will appreciate. But have you been, you know, just the idea that, that Fox News, you know, which I haven't watched as much lately, I mean, they cover everything to everything. You know, before the hurricane got there, there were people there in the path. You know, as it's getting there, there are people there. As, it, as it's overhead, there are people there. You know, afterwards, look what it did. We know what these things do. Do we need that much detail about it, you know, to the exclusion of everything else that's happening? What do you think? He's left. <laughs> yeah, left no, I don't think so. I think they need to. Yeah. Well, hold on. maybe we could replace them with robots one of these days. That would be more cordial, less biased, have less uh, emphasis and highs and lows in their voice. Hmm. Well, you should, well, I don't. I don't mind bias as long as the, it's stated. It's these people that try and claim to be objective, and then give you a Marxist point of view. You know that's crazy. But if you want, if you want the monotone news, and now Action Radio presents the monotone news. There was a hurricane of 157 miles an hour. It struck Fort Myers at 5 p.m. <laughs> I mean, I, I can do that. But that's that's you know, uh, that's what news teletypes are for. Remember the old wire services. You know, you see, yeah, like off the wire. Not, it could I mean, be like the uh, eighty. Yeah, that could be too. Yeah, that'd be like a twenty. Yeah. yeah, which is a yeah recording. I don't. Know if, I forgot how long that is. Is it like thirty seconds? Anyway, so it used to be people would go down to the newsroom and they they rip the story, literally rip the stories off the off these teletypes, and it sounded like this. And so, if you're in a newsroom, you'd hear this, and AP or one of the other what they call wire services. Because they're all connected by wires, and it was like a teletype. It was a worldwide teletype. So AP, the Associated Press, would write stories, and they'd type up the generic news, and then uh, it would go out to all the news services, all the, you know, at the time, ABC, NBC, CBS, all the affiliates, the big papers, you know, the, the Boston Globe, the New York Times, the San Francisco Chronicle, Chicago Tribune, and then I'll rip these stories off the same uh, – off their teletypes and it'll be the same story. And then they'd color it and they'd add a little bit and then somebody would sign their name to it and that's how the news was done. But uh, the thing with AP was they were so big that they could, they could pretty much color the news any way they wanted. You know, and so, and they did because <laughs> they're pretty liberal. Uh, the other big one is Reuters that's in Germany uh, and there's a few others kind of scattered around. They're more sort of Al Jazeera which comes out of uh, Qatar or Gutter, you know, depending on, on your, your pronunciation. Um, but the, the news services, and they're, they're huge, and a lot of people don't realize how powerful these news services are. And they, they, you know, that's why you see stories from around the country. You start comparing news stories. They're all the same. Well, cause, and this is AP. So, well, they all came from the same source, and they just kind of copied and put their, their name to it, and off they went. But that's how it works. But, yeah, so news is very generic. It's a, you know, have you seen those, uh, those videos where they'll have you know, 30 screens of, of newscasters, and they're all saying the same thing at the same time with the same inflection, like they are robots? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, let's still make those. I, I, I got to drag one out. Yeah. Well, so the coverage, 
you know, like I said, and, and of course now they're all getting uh, set for uh, the landing of South Carolina. Now the problem with this hurricane, this hurricane is devastating. I mean, this was this was a massive uh, amount of damage, and so it's uh, it, it, it's you know it's horrible to see it. Uh, I got a little bit of a taste of that with Sandy. You know, when we were when it hit here, and I'm in Milton, Florida, uh, on the Gulf Coast, and I'm near Pensacola, and so we got a we Sandy went. When I was like 70, 60, 70 miles an hour of the winds were here next door in Pensacola, about 80, 85. I think Mobile got hit worse. And I forgot exactly what the path was, but it was pretty bad where it went. Uh, but we, I mean, it was okay. I still lost power for three, for three days. You know, I had, uh, I had to cancel the show. Obviously I had, you know, I had no way of running it. Um, unless I run it from my phone and my car battery. <laughs> I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could run the show off my phone. Well, maybe I'll try that sometime. Um, you know, program it. Well, I'm, that, that, I'm going to try that after the show. I'll plug it into my, my thing, see if I can run, my, my, run the show from my cell phone. That would be wild. Anyway, um, but uh, so that was it. And the floodwaters are rising. We got a storm surge, about 14-foot storm surge. Fortunately, I'm on slightly higher ground here. And so the city of Milton's up a little bit, uh, and the 14 feet covered the gazebo on the, on the riverfront. But uh, you go up about 30, I mean, the city of Milton's about 30-foot elevation. And so a 14-foot storm surge is just under half, halfway up to uh, the land uh, where all the buildings were. So we, we did okay. But even so, it was still pretty devastating. I mean, the streets were covered in, in trees and, you know, palms especially and, and things like that. Um, but it was, it, it was quite, a, you know, quite an interesting thing. Anyway, I got some news stories, which I, which I find interesting. And see if you have more comments on the coverage. And I want to get to, uh, and I've got many. Uh, the first one is why we need hurricanes. And this, I think, is one of the most, uh, uh, you know, I've talked about this before, but uh, uh, are, you, are you surprised, bothered, uh, doesn't really matter? Or what's your reaction to all these folks that are screaming, uh, especially on the left? You know, it's global warming. This is evidence of global warming. Storms are worse than ever, even though this is the first hurricane this year. Uh, there's more storms, you know, and, it's, it's, uh, and then they're starting to complain, saying, well, DeSantis can't ask for government help. He, he doesn't believe in government. He's... Uh, you know, he's a, he's a MAGA person, you know, he wants to make America great again. Of course, they don't say that. But there's a, there's a really strange attitude out there that if you don't believe as we believe, you don't deserve help. And that's kind of disgusting. But yet there it is. Yeah, it is disgusting. And how they believe is based on a lot of rhetoric. Mm-hmm. And rehash verbiage. But so once again, it goes to the the science of things, uh, the earth is so old, no one has the idea of what happened a million years ago. Yeah. But this, uh, what makes me cringe is to contemplate what's the next economic exploitation that's going to come out of this. We're already seeing that they want to demise organic fuel-ran Vehicles and other necessary things that's needed. Wonder what the Eskimos are going to do up in the tundra, in the northern areas. They need gasoline vehicles in order to gasoline power vehicles in order to carry out their everyday life achievements. Yeah, one place electric uh, vehicles and solar power does not work is in the tundra. <laughs> you know, in the wintertime because they don't get sun for three months. So that's not uh, that's not a viable option there. I actually was up there. I took my daughter up to Alaska. We went up to the Anaktuvik Pass, which is about 150 miles north of the Arctic Circle. And so we were way up there. We were in the permafrost. They didn't have freezers. They just dig out, 
you know, a big chunk of ground, you know, six feet by six feet and just drop food in there and it stays frozen because the ground is frozen and that's year round. So they had this, uh, you know, you know, interesting um, way of doing things. And it was caribou season. So there were caribou pelts, you know, from recently killed caribou uh, drying on the, on the banisters, uh, on the railings, on the way up to these people's houses. And so that's something you don't see in, in Kansas, <laughs> you know, unless you have a deer hunter who's a little more enthusiastic than most. But it was interesting. It was interesting going up there. And I was amazed at how thin the buildings were. And it was about 45, 50 degrees. And they were all like sweating. And was, oh, man, it's summer today. What are we going to do? You know, it was summertime. <laughs> This is August, right? And so, you know, we're used to, I was in California at the time, used to much warmer temperatures, although we did have the fog, you know, to keep us cool. But it's a different life up there. But getting back to the exploitation, you you know, you're absolutely right. And this is going to be interesting. I mean, uh, you know, the Rahm Emanuel, don't let a crisis go to waste. If they can convince people that it's global warming that causes hurricanes, even though Tucker Carlson had a big thing out last night saying, no, we're actually low. Uh, The hurricanes have gone down in number. Um, they might be a little more severe. Like this one's really severe, but it's the only one this year. And I remember, I think two years ago, we had four of them go through. You know, and they kept, actually my first year, 2017, there were like four hurricanes. They all missed me. And I was like, whoa, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, then uh, I think uh, the, the year after that wasn't so bad. Then I think 20, what are we, 2019, when Sally went through, um, that, uh, that went really close, you know. So you can't live in Florida, you know, forever and not get, uh, not get affected by a hurricane, but how is it going to be exploited? You know, and these folks, they talk about, well, we need electric vehicles. Well, how do electric vehicles do in standing water? You know, did they become, you know, a death trap? I don't know. I mean, are electric vehicles insulated against floods? Uh, yeah, which you get a shock out of it, wouldn't you? Well, you what got an hurricane battery. originate at? Well, hurricanes, I'm going to they originate? They originate at the equator. So uh, let me just, I want to cover just a little bit more on this exploitation, because I think you made a really good point that, you know, the push for electric vehicles, but electric vehicles, like I say, you know, you got, it was pouring rain, standing water. You know, you got floodwaters. What happens to the batteries in an electric vehicle? Do they short out? You know, I imagine floodwaters ruin electric vehicles. Well, they don't, they don't do so well for gas powered either. I mean, they can ruin them too. Um, but all these things are happening. And, and as you say, the economic exploitation, we can't give money to Florida. You know, they're a bunch of mega conservatives. You know, and, and it's the attitude. I mean, Brandon hasn't said hardly anything about Florida. You know, Trump would have been here. I already. think hurricanes uh, originate off the west coast of Africa. That's possible. Yeah, because that's right. I've seen them move across. Well, let's take a look at the, the latest hurricane uh, map. Let's see if I can pull up my hurricane map here. And then I'll get into what I have an article that's fascinating. It's why we need hurricanes. Hurricanes actually fulfill a vital function uh, in actually regulating Earth's temperature. Hurricanes are the opposite of, of dangerous climate change. They actually maintain climate consistency, and people don't. Uh, People don't know that. Okay, what was that? No, I totally forgot what I was looking up. Um, hmm. Well, that's, that's disturbing. <laughs> this is what happens when I get caught off on a, on a tangent. Oh, yeah, hurricane, um, the weather charts. All right, let me go back to see if I find my weather. I wasn't planning to do this, so it's a little, uh, little improvised here. So weather, weather, weather. Yeah, mine are organized alphabetically, which is too bad. They just I started doing them as I did them. All right, weather sites. Yeah, let's get National Hurricane Service. National Hurricane Center. And so, yeah, Ian's off the coast of Georgia and South Carolina. Yeah, West Africa. There's another one. There's, a, there's like a tropical, it's, it's called a disturbance. Chance of cyclone formation in 48 hours. Now, it's interesting. In the southern hemisphere, they're called cyclones. In the northern hemisphere, they're called hurricanes. That's interesting. All right, so let's get the warning cone of uh, Hurricane Ian. 
Yeah, it's right off Georgia right now. It's out to sea. Uh, it's going to be a hurricane when it makes landfall. They're figuring, well, here's the 5 a.m. report. So it's working its way up to right the middle of South Carolina. And so I got the red zone. It's going to be hurricane force. So all of South Carolina is going to be a hurricane. A bit of North Carolina, the, the southern part of North Carolina is in the hurricane zone. And around that is the tropical storm zone. And so it's, it's scheduled to, if it goes according to plan, uh, go all the way up to Tennessee. I mean, no, no, that's North Carolina. Top of North Carolina um, by 2 p.m. Saturday. So that's where, that's where it looks like going. Yeah. So National Hurricane Center has some great maps. I'll put that on my, my Facebook page later. But, but where do, you know, but you're absolutely right. And right off the coast of West Africa. Now, what is it about West Africa? What's, what's, uh, what's happening there climate-wise? Are the trade winds, do they blow from there? Is there, is there a weather pattern that causes them to uh, start there? Well, you got the Sahara. Right. Where it's hot, hot air, no vegetation, no CO2. So that would help. Yeah, more CO2. Well, isn't that that's a really great thought? Isn't it interesting that more CO2 would make for more greening of the Sahara, which might actually make for a, a more stable temperature, which might actually lower the amount of hurricanes? Because you wouldn't need them as much because the plants would absorb the heat and the sun and the carbon dioxide. That is a great but thought. But hurricanes and hurricanes and tornadoes are a necessary elements in nature. They're needed. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll tell you why in a second. Why do hurricanes? About 55 degrees. Well, here's, here's an, you know, you, you mentioned this. So I already looked it up here. This is from Earth Professor. And Earth Professor says, why do hurricanes form in Africa? It says, because of the circulation of the atmosphere over this part of Africa, the winds tend to blow from east to west. Okay. Um, well, that's interesting. So they must be coming off the ocean then. The flow of air essentially gives the showers and storms over Africa a ride, directing them westward toward the Atlantic Ocean. Oh, okay. So there we go. So the air flows off the, um, like the moisture flows off the, um, off the ocean, and then somehow it turns around again. <laughs> you know, that's probably the uh, Coriolis effect. Turns the air around. And it goes back over the ocean. This is when we were researching, we ran into the question why hurricanes form in Africa. The reason why places like Africa and the Gulf Coast are so prone to hurricanes is because they contain these things during a majority of the year. Oh, okay. Hurricane season is traditionally June 1st to November 30th. During this time, waters in the Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico become warm enough to support hurricane force winds. You should be asking, why do hurricanes form off the Africa coast? And then it says, a hurricane gets its forming energy from the hot and dry plains of Africa. So there you go. So that's interesting. So, and this is then as heated air moves off the west coast of Africa, it evaporates large amounts of water. Well, that makes sense, too, because, you know, dry air absorbs water, right? So the air mass moves westward in the Caribbean where warm, moist air helps generate cyclonic rotation. Okay, that's counterclockwise, folks. Uh, uh, winds. Uh, yeah, it's counterclockwise. And anticyclonic is actually clockwise. So, so air in the southern hemisphere, the cyclones, turn the opposite direction. So here they, they make a circle that's counterclockwise. That's why the right side is worse than the left side of a hurricane, you know, because the air moving up for some reason, the movement of the hurricane plus the, that, and that's, that's the dirty side. The cleaner side, the easier side is the western side. Um, don't ask me why. That's, that's just physics. Yeah, like water that goes down a drain. Kind of. Well, explain yeah, that more. How, how is it like water that goes down a drain? When you're north of the equator, it goes kind of clockwise. When you're south oh, of the equator, yeah. it goes kind of clockwise. 
Yeah, it does. That's, that's, that, and that's just for the same reason. That's the way the gravity you know, makes it work. So the air mass moves westward into the Caribbean where the, more, the warm, moist air. It's interesting. It has to cross the whole Atlantic um, to get there. That's kind of interesting. The air mass moves westward, cyclonic motion. Uh, and this is when these waves of air have enough moisture, lift, and instability. That means low pressure, folks. They readily form clusters of thunderstorms, sometimes becoming correlated with a center of air circulation. When this happens, a tropical cyclone, or what we call a hurricane, may form as the areas of disturbed weather move westward across the Atlantic. Since this tropical storm Dorian in the Atlantic is expected to strengthen to a Category 1 hurricane this week. All right, Dorian, that was a while ago. So this was, uh, I, don't, I don't have a date on this, but this is a while back. But yeah, so you're absolutely right. I'm going to keep this article. I'll post it on the environmental uh, action page. Yeah, it's interesting. You have a natural conveyor of uh-huh. water currents that uh, come from West Africa to this part of to the Caribbean, of yeah. course. You just put a raft on there. Of course, if it don't get swamped, it would end up here. <laughs> Thor Heyerdahl. Remember when he had that wooden that uh, that rafting? He wanted to prove that the uh, the Polynesians could cross the ocean in rafts, so he did it. Remember him? Mm. He was, All right. So look, it was a reed boat. He had a reed boat. <laughs> reed boat, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was Norwegian or something like that. So he's, he's a Viking. Yeah, but I tell you what. Uh, What's that? Yeah, those, those boats didn't have any kills. They were round bottom, easily turned over. Those are the, you, you get to the idea that uh, an ark wanted to have a bottle of wine on each side rather than one in the middle, I guess it was. So. A bottle of wine on each side? Yeah, the biblical story goes. Oh, okay. Huh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that. Well, uh, feel free to expand. Um, I want to get to that. I wanna get, do you yeah, have more on that? Or, uh, you have one on each side of the boat. Right. And there were wine bottles. Yeah, the, yeah, the bottle of wine for drinking. So you drink. It's like the, the wings in there, uh, the tanks in the airplane wings. You kind of want to balance it out a little from so both drink, sides at the same time. So you drink a bottle mm-hmm. from one side, then the other side, or you take two bottles off? I guess you would. Okay. Well, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, I could do that. Yeah. So, so yeah, have yeah. a little wine with your cruise. Okay. So I found this article. Of course, I look for it too. I mean, the reason I find these articles is because I'm asking the questions to find them. Uh, in other words, the question I asked was, you know, why are hurricanes necessary? And then it, I found this from, uh, this is an ABC network, 25 WPBF news. I'm not sure where they are, but uh, apparently they, this is a good source. And this is from Glenn Glazer, G-L-A-Z-E-R who wrote an article, Dangerous to Us, Necessary to the Planet, Why We Need Hurricanes. And so to all those, those leftists who are trying to bring about socialism by convincing people or trying to convince people that hurricanes are a result of driving an SUV and releasing carbon dioxide, you're a bunch of idiots. You know, uh, don't believe it. It's, it's absolute nonsense. We need hurricanes. Otherwise, you know, does the Earth have anything it doesn't need when you think about it? I mean, there's a reason that there are infinite varieties of life form. We need them. You know, you look at the weather. We need it. You know, we need the oceans, we need the land, you know, we need the sun, you know, we need an atmosphere, you know, we need land, we need water. We, everything that's here we, is needed. Things that aren't here that aren't needed don't tend to stick around for very long. So the article says the planet... need to keep the planet from blowing up. Um, well, gravity does that. Gravity well, the in the atmosphere. Yeah. Well, see, in the ocean, oceans go down as much as five miles, some deeper than that. Yeah, Marianas Trench, and I think, is eight. You... Yeah. Yeah, you, so you're closer. You're closer to where the pressure is being generated. That's for, that uh, powers your volcano. Very little pressure. You're closer to the pressure, the ultimate pressure that powers volcanoes. So 
if it wasn't for eight miles of seawater, ocean water, that provides that weight to hold it down, like holding the top down on a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. So if you've well, done away with the water, yeah, you still, you still get underwater eruptions, but it does, we don't notice it until yeah, it gets they, above, like Hawaii. They, you they're know, nowhere most, near they would be if it wasn't an ocean. Yeah, yeah. Most of Hawaii, you know, the Hawaiian land that was formed by volcanoes, most of it's underwater. You know, if you took away the ocean, yeah, you know, the, the Hawaiian islands would, would all join up together. <laughs> it would all be one island. Yeah. yeah, we all live on mountains. We do. Yeah. Well, listen to this. It says the planet Earth is in a constant struggle to find a balance between the equator and the poles. In the lower latitudes, the sun shines brighter and longer. It's the opposite in the northern latitudes, closer to the poles. What that does is create a deficit, a difference in heat. And this is from Pablo Santos, meteorologist in charge for the National Weather Service in Miami. So they would know. It's just like the, uh, the, the, National, uh, the U.S. Geological Survey is in Menlo Park, just outside San Francisco, sitting right on the San Andreas Fault. So they're right there where the action is. Miami is right here where the action is in terms of hurricanes, right? So National Weather Service, uh, Pablo Santos says, um, well, this is called, then, it, then the article says, in an attempt to correct these differences in temperature between the North Pole, the South Pole, and the equator, right? That's what we're talking about. It says the differences in temperature, the Earth creates weather systems, some big and some small. Hurricanes typically form during the summer, northern hemisphere, form during the summer, this is northern hemisphere summer, and southern hemisphere summer. And a lot of what they do, I check my computer, make sure it's not going to fall off my desk here. Hang on, I'm just going to move some things. Yeah, I think we're okay. I'm trying to read my article. Right, there we go. So it says, and a lot of what they do is they transport energy. Since they form near the equator, they transport energy from the equator to the poles. That's basically one of the primary reasons we have hurricanes. And that's Philip Klotzbach, research scientist at the Department of Atmospheric Science in Colorado State University. So this makes sense. So and I've covered this before in the show. I'm sure it was a different article. I didn't, I didn't find the one I used the first time. But the point is that hurricanes are necessary. Hurricanes stop climate change, okay? Hurricanes equalize the temperature. They take all the heat from the equator and they transport it up into the northern latitudes and disperse it. So they're basically a heat exchange. They're a heat dump. They're taking, they're basically the radiator, <laughs> okay? So they're taking the heat from the engine you know, it goes to the radiator, then it goes out into the atmosphere. Well, that's, that's, what the, that's what hurricanes do. They capture the heat from the equator, uh, but in the process of doing that, they also attract a lot of moisture, horrendous winds, and up they go. So, but these things, but you notice they always move north, and that probably has to do with uh, um, the cyclonic, uh, the, the, the Coriolis effect as well, that things are turning, and then they spin to the outside. And, and so it's just like you put something on a record, and, you know, off it spins, <laughs> you know, if it went fast enough. Anyway, so that's what's going on here. Anyway, so they take heat away. Yeah, the sun crosses the sun crosses the equator at uh, in September twenty first. Yep, and April uh, no, March twenty first. Yep. So for all you pagans out there, that's a really good point too. So the summer solstice well, and March twenty first is going the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So the summer solstice and the winter solstice are the two times when uh, no, that's the, I'm thinking of the equinox. I'm sorry, my apologies. The equinox is when the daylight equals the night. The equinox, September 21st, um, the sun is at the equator, and uh, March 21st, the sun is at the equator, but it's going in different directions. Well, the Earth is wobbling. Yeah, it's going, so sun, up. It's going up. Uh huh. So it goes to the Tropic of Cancer in the northern hemisphere during the astrological sign of Cancer, you know, which is centered around June 21st which is the longest day of the year. 
So that's the Tropic of Cancer when the sun's up north. Uh, and then as it wobbles, the earth wobbles and it heads down south, it gets there in the Tropic of Capricorn, which is in January, <laughs> okay, which is the shortest day of the year. Um, well, actually, December 21st. The shortest day of the year in the northern hemisphere, but the longest day of the year in, in southern the southern hemisphere. Southern so right. in the southern hemisphere is where the sun dies for three days on the cross. Then on the 25th, it rises. Where's the resurrection, the resurrection oh, of Jesus. Okay. All right. Well, that's interesting. That's where the story comes from, the resurrection story comes from. As the sun crosses the equator, it makes a cross. Okay, cross, well, I, which means peace to I'm divine not, spirit. So, okay, I'm not familiar with this story. This is interesting. So the sun yeah, crosses the equator. Me, yeah. What's that? Yeah, that's what. Yeah, on the twenty fifth, the the sun rises again. S U N sun, not the S O N sun. Right. It comes to the wobble of the earth. It begins to go back the other way to tilt, and then it dies again. The same thing in the northern hemisphere. It it remains at its lowest spot for three days. Then it comes back and starts moving back up, tracking up north. Oh, that's fascinating. Because I know it. It's you slow, didn't know I know it slows down. I, I didn't. Well, I didn't know it stopped for three days. That is interesting. Uh, that's that's worth looking up. Is, yeah, I want to learn more about this because if you See, look when it at crosses the rate of the equator, right? When it crosses the equator, it's dying. It's beginning to die on the cross. And your symbolic cross that Jesus was nailed to. If you want to okay. go by this story, yeah. And that cross was the cross was a peace to the divine spirit until the Romans moved the, the uh moved it up closer to the top and you have the formation that you have today. So So Easter the, should have been on the uh the twenty first of March instead of April? Well Easter could have been in time they wanted to be, but as far as Earth science is concerned with the rising of the S U N, not the S O N. Right. No, it's just interesting. So, and here's what I do know too: that the the sun, uh, the time moves faster uh, during the, the the fall and the spring. In other words, the amount of daylight either increases or decreases faster during the spring and fall, and during the summer and the winter. Summer, as Pianchi says, the, the the long days hang for a while, and in the winter time, the the short days hang for a while. You know, around September 21st and June 21st, which are the uh, um, the solstices, and then you've got the equinox in uh, September 21st and March 21st. Yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah, all that is psychological because of the sun exposure. Your days are longer. You think that the day mm-hmm. is the days are, the light is longer period of time than it would be uh, 180 degrees from where it is on that particular time. You know, it's fascinating. Huh. You go up into the North Pole and you can have uh, 24 hours of daylight practice. Oh, I was, listen, I was there with my kid. We were in Anchorage having dinner at 10 o'clock at night. We thought it was 6. That's how mm. bright it was. <laughs> and this was in uh, was early August. You know, so it, it wasn't as bright as it would have been in June. In June, <laughs> the sun never sets, right? So we're there in August in Anchorage. And, you know, we're looking at each other. We're sort of having fun. And I said, I said, do you know what time it is? And she's like, I don't know. Let's take a look. She's like, I do what, 6? You know, I look at my watch. It's like, it was 10 o'clock. <laughs> It's still broad daylight. It was hysterical. I was like, Sweetie, you're not going to believe this. It's 10 o'clock at night. She's like, oh, no. Anyway, I think it's more of this article. I've got several more things I want to talk about. We've got uh, Derek coming in. It's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of uh, things with the, the, uh, 
Yeah. The procession of the earth takes 25,000 years to go through all the astrological houses, which you call Virgo. They wouldn't really call. It was called different than what they are when the Greeks named it. 25,000 years for all the cycles? That one cycle. So if you can draw a point. Yeah. Let me... um, yeah, you you're bringing up a whole bunch of topics I'd love to talk about. I just want to, uh, I got a, I got a few that I actually want to. I have. But anyway, it's all necessary, to. and okay. it has developed to what it is, and uh-huh. it's a beautiful thing. Sure is. So for those of you, and it's hard to tell people who've just been through Hurricane Ian that hurricanes are a necessary thing. I mean, I'm not trying to do that. I'm not trying to be patronizing. I'm not trying to say that this isn't a devastating hurricane. What I am trying to say is that if you understand why these things happen, maybe we can deal with them in a little different way, which is what I want to get to in a bit. Let me finish this article first. That's the major point. Oh, Thank you. This is, and the article says, in an attempt to correct these differences in temperature, because that's what a hurricane does. A hurricane was a, is a temperature equalizer. In other words, it's a stabilizer of the Earth's temperature. It's not a, uh, I mean, it's, it does it in a rather violent, extreme way, but that's, that's how nature works sometimes. But this is how, you know, the universe is created. This is how God created the Earth, to have hurricanes that distribute the heat from the equator into the northern uh, hemisphere to equalize the world's temperature. It's a temperature regulating device. So don't, don't tell me all this stuff about global warming and hurricanes are causing more warming. They actually get rid of global warming, you know, and they get rid of climate change. So you know, don't even try to lie to me about that, left. All right, so this is hurricanes typically form during the summer. Oh, I read that already. Uh, and a lot of what they do is they transport energy. Since they form near the equator, they transport energy from the equator to the poles. Well, that's what we've just been saying. That's basically one of the primary reasons we have hurricanes, and that's Philip Scott. Okay, let me get some new stuff here. Uh, but while hurricanes are important to help balance the planet, as Floridians, we know that they can be devastating to people and property. Okay, we just saw that with Hurricane Ian. Over the years, many theories have surfaced about how we can minimize or rid ourselves of hurricanes altogether, but the experts say these proposals are futile and dangerous. Here's Klotz back again. All of these ideas have failed because hurricanes are very powerful heat engines, and we as humans are very puny compared to hurricanes. Yeah, no kidding. As a scientist, my sense is don't mess with Mother Nature. I agree. The processes that are in place by Mother Nature are there for a reason. They don't just happen for nothing. I agree with that, too. So hurricanes are here to stay, and so are we. The good news for us is that with huge advancements in technology, like the new multi-billion dollar GOES, I guess that's GOES, satellites, we will be able to have more advanced warning than ever before this hurricane season. Okay, so that's, that's uh, this is, let me see, when was this written? Um, no, June 13th. So this is this year. So we've got new satellites. We've got new ways of predicting it. What's interesting about hurricanes compared to earthquakes is with an earthquake, as much as they've tried to predict it, there's only one guy that got it right in 89 and he was absolutely right on. He, he had it within like three days. He said, we're going to have a major earthquake on this, this, or this day. <laughs> and everybody else laughed at him. said, no, no, it ain't going to happen. And he was absolutely right. So, uh, so you, these things can be uh, earthquakes. You know, if this guy brought the figures together, it was fascinating the way he did it. All right. So do you have any more questions or, or comments on, on the necessity of hurricanes? No, they do cause unbelievable damage. Because I got some news for you. Well, it's because man is uh, getting in their way. They have established their patterns mm-hmm. since, you know, how long, nobody knows. Mm-hmm. And uh, like the gentleman said, you shouldn't try to mess with Mother Nature. You cause a lot of problems. You know, people think man would like to control Mother Nature, by the way, but they can't. Doesn't work that way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you want to, you know, if you want to see your place in the universe, you know, try yelling at a hurricane. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry, you're not going to have it. We're just not that important. Um, what's interesting is that um, actually it was Jonathan Mosley that pointed this out. We were, we were talking off the air, and he told me about a 1947 experiment where they actually cloud-seeded a hurricane. They figured if they could get it to rain more, it would dissipate. Well, it got even stronger. <laughs> Idiots. <laughs> so that, I put that on our, weather, on our uh, environmental action project. So the Action Radio Environmental Action Project, uh, I had that story. And in fact, uh, he, just, he just heard it. And so I looked it up, and apparently, yeah, this is a real thing. So 1947, the idiots that thought they could control the world, you know, after we, we just won World War II and beaten everybody, we had the atomic bomb. You know, people figured, oh, we can do anything now. So they cloud-seeded a hurricane with silver iodide uh, and, uh, and, and totally, you know, vastly increased its, its strength and devastation, idiots. So stop messing with Mother Nature. So I'm thinking, you know, this was uh, – Last night, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Hurricane Ian, you know, really strong winds, all the buildings get destroyed. And, and then my pilot knowledge kicked in. I thought, well, what if, uh, you know, what can we do to the buildings to make them less, uh, make them much more resistant to hurricane winds? And, of course, you know me, the first thing I thought of was make them round, right? So if we had round make buildings. Make them round, right. Make them round, okay. Absolutely. So if we, had, if, if we have round buildings, and I was thinking like an igloo kind of shape, you know, the traditional igloo where it's like a sphere, it's like a semicircle sphere. So the air would go Monolith. up and over and around. Go ahead. What? I'm sorry. Monolithic, monolithic domes. Yeah, exactly. Or <laughs> geodesic. Do you remember Buckminster Fuller? Yeah, geodesic. Yeah, monolithic domes are around, perfectly round. It's a company in Texas, Ithaca, Ithaca, Texas, that first started that on commercial production, and they still exist today. They make monolithic domes. They're beautiful, well, and they withstand hurricanes. Well, I'm going to look that up, too. I've got another company here that I found, so monolithic domes. You know, the problem with, with uh, circular houses are, are like the igloo shape, the semicircle, you know, splitting a, uh, splitting a sphere in half, uh, is that it's very inefficient in terms of space. You've got no corners, no, you know, buildings. You, you drastically reduce the interior usage space. So monolithic domes. Let me look that up. Well, so then yeah, I think you can make them where you have uh, regular walls up to a certain point, put the dome on top of it if you want to. But no, it's nothing wrong with having corners. If a rodent run into your front door, turn uh, right, he's going to run around until he has to turn right to exit. There's no place to hide. <laughs> exactly. Well, so then I looked around and I thought, and I, you know, me, I put in the internet, you know, round homes for hurricane resistance. And this company came up. It's called Deltec. And there's a, an article, big article here. In fact, I'm going to call him up. I want to get him on the air. I want to see if I can connect him up with uh, some of our Florida folks and say, hey, guys, you know, maybe we can do something. So this is an article written by Charlie Radka, R-A-D-K-A, June 1st of 2016, uh, from the website Inhabitat. And they got a slideshow and they got other things. We've got these amazing homes. They're not round, but they're multi, uh, they're like hexagonal. They've got, let me see, one, two, three, four, six, seven, probably like 14 sides. I don't know if that would be a dodecahedron yeah, or a tridecahedron, but it, they're like a, a hedron, <laughs> you know, so they're like a multi-sided hedron and they're round enough to hurricane and they sort of a round top to them. So they're round enough to hurricanes go around them and they're also built on stilts and they have like a ground floor, you know, stairway, elevator, things like that. So they're built for the floodwaters. Mm. They're built for to resist the wind because the, the air goes around them. I think it's a fascinating Well, they concept. have a flat surface here and there that creates a low pressure area from well, the inside and pop out the windows. Well, look up monolithic domes are perfectly round, perfect, and uh, everything is equalized. So that's why mm-hmm. they would stand the hurricane. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, because the air goes around both sides equally, as opposed to creating a low-pressure area on one side. I didn't think about that, but that's true. It's like a sail. You know, a sail on a sailboat works, not because the wind pushes it, but because it creates uh, different pressures. There's, there's higher pressure on one side, lower pressure on the other side. And the right. air moves around the sail, and that's how it works. I don't know if they realized that when they first created sails, but that's how they work. A sail is a wing, folks. It's the same principle. It's different shapes. You know, it goes from the, 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 you know, the lower, the, the wider at the bottom, narrower at the top, you know, but a sail is essentially a wing. Okay, it's a wing for the air. It's, it's, it works on exactly the same principle as an airplane wing. All the things we talk about here, this is fascinating. All right, so this is what the article says. It says, it says June 1st marks official start of the Atlantic hurricane season. So this was in 2016. So this is uh, seven, year, seven years ago, six years ago. And it says, with predictions for bigger and deadlier storms this year due to the transition to La Nina. Notice they didn't say global warming and climate change. La Nina is a regular event where the earth does, where the waters do warm up. And of course, that makes for stronger storms, right? Then it says, coupled with above average sea surface temperatures in the Gulf of Mexico, meteorologists are urging inhabitants of hurricane prone areas to take precautions. That would be us here in Florida. Thanks to climate change. Okay, they did, all right, now they screwed it up. <laughs> they, they blew it. it. says, thanks to climate change, this trend towards more violent and volatile weather is showing no signs of slowing down. Okay, that's a lie. That's just a complete and total lie. Yeah, but the article is still interesting. Okay, so, but, we'll, but we'll, we'll, we'll take the virtues of the article and sort of dismiss their, where they've screwed up. Uh, and then it says, but a North Carolina-based company called Deltec, that's D-E-L-T-E-C, Homes, has decided to fight back with hurricane-resistant homes that are so stormproof They've survived the likes of both Sandy and Katrina. Not to give them too much of a plug, but I want to get them on the show. Maybe they'll be sponsors. Who knows, right? So Deltec, D-E-L-T-E-C. So you look at these pictures, and I've got it online. I've got it in my environmental action project. got it on my own page. Uh, I've got this. Uh, but you can look it up, D-E-L-T-E-C, Deltec Homes, right? And so they're, they're, they're uh, multi-hedron, so they're multi-sided. They've got about 14 to 16 sides. They've got a roundish roof, uh, and then they have other areas. But uh, these, are, these are fascinating homes. And, and it says here, Delta Homes was started in 1968 in Asheville, North Carolina, as a builder of hurricane-resistant round homes in seaside resort communities, particularly in the Atlantic South, where hurricanes are an ever-present uh, threat to coastal homes. Although the company has recently expanded into rectilinear, uh, rectilinear, let me spell it, <laughs> R-E-C-T-I-L-I-N-E-A-R, net zero energy homes. Okay, this is screwing up again. Stop at the net zero. Carbon dioxide's a good thing. This is with the launch of the new Renew collection. Okay, Delta originally made a name for itself with iconic storm-resistant round homes. Initially commissioned for seaside resort communities, these structures soon became sought after by homeowners across the country for their striking aesthetics and durability. See, I want one. You know, when, when the action radio really starts paying off, when all this work I'm doing, you know, not only can we do good, but we can, uh, you know, do good for ourselves as well. I'm going to build one of these things. This, these look fabulous. Anyway, so you got the pictures there, and, you, and you, they have diagrams of how the air flows around them. They've got like, uh, I'm sure they put these things in a wind tunnel to test them, right? So you aim it into the prevailing wind. You've got one of the, the, the smaller sides, aims into the wind, whatever the prevailing wind direction is, uh, and then um, air flows around it. And, of course, it's equalized on all sides because it's round. I found this What happens in a fire? What's that? What happens in a fire? Well, I think monolithic stones will burn. Why is that? <laughs> the material is made out of. Well, see, this is these are made of wood. See, what, so they they born, what they do to what they do to monolithic stone is that they blow up an airfoil, which is uh-huh. to your particular size of dimension. They spray a foam on the interior. Then they come in and put your reinforcement rods. Uh-huh. Then they spray concrete. 
huh. chattering, they call it, to varying thickness. It stops uh, bullets from higher-powered high rifles. It, it's uh, been in forest fires where it don't burn. There's nothing to burn inside, so your insurance is probably a hundred dollars a year for homeowners insurance. Huh? Maybe I should build one of these instead. There actually was a roundhouse in, um, I remember in, in uh, San Francisco, right near the San Andreas Fault. This guy built this round, big white house on a hillside, near where the statue of Hercules yeah, pointing at. Yeah, go ahead. Earthquake proof too. Termite well, proof. Huh. Okay. Monolithic Dome Institute, MDI, advances the construction of Monolithic Dome, a super-insulated, steel-reinforced, thin-shell concrete structure built worldwide for residential, commercial, and industrial uses. The Monolithic Dome is beautiful, energy-efficient, green, and strong. You're absolutely right. Not that I doubted you. You can, have, you can build one in the tundra. Your electric go off. Don't worry about none. The coldest it will get in the, in the place is about 55 degrees if it gets that cold. Uh-huh. So they got homes, safe rooms, schools, churches sports facilities, storage places. It says prepare, prepare for real-world emergencies, not doomsday. Huh, that's one heading. Then we got another here. Throwback our monolithic dome on a hill. They're beautiful pictures. Learn to build a dome in the fall of 2022. So they, they've got their, their big uh, dome workshop coming up. So maybe I should get these folks on the show too. What I'm thinking is this would be a great thing for DeSantis to offer you know, big um, tax deductions, tax credits for people that can build round homes and businesses that can build round homes in hurricane-prone areas. This would be huge. What do you think? That's the best one by my research. Okay. Well, you know construction, so, I mean, I'm, I rely on you for, for this kind of information. So I appreciate it. I found the Deltec. I want to get them on the show, too. Now, I don't know if I need uh, a monolithic dome in terms of, well, first of all, I don't have to worry about earthquakes. Fires, you know, I'm pretty good about, being responsible, it's just me, you know, so I'm not as concerned with that. Um, but you've got to keep the vegetation a little bit away from your house. We don't really have a fire problem in Florida because the soil's so damp and we get so much rain here that I don't think that's as big an issue. But the hurricanes, definitely. You know, I'd love to have a roundhouse that was, that was wind-resistant because it was round. So when I build my seaside house, <laughs> it's going to be round. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, are, are you evacuating? No, I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah. So anyway, so these things can resist uh, like twice the. I think they're 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 built for 190 mile an hour winds. I mean that's huge. All right, let me take a quick break, play a couple things, and we've got uh, Derek coming in in about 40 minutes, and so we've got some stuff to do before he gets here. But uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I need more commercials too. I got I got to work on getting some uh, some different things here for people just because just because. Uh, let me see if I can get, uh, where's my, uh, this one I want. So we'll start with this and I'll be right back in just, just a little bit. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow 
And now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash WYL. That's mypillow.com slash WYL. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. All right, we are back. Pianki's back. I'm back, and uh, it's just us. It's Friday, so uh, things are, are um, yeah, and we're kind of kicking back a little bit. But uh, it's been a it's been a crazy with the Hurricane Ian. Uh, not for us here personally with weather, but just because of what everybody else is going through. Um, one of the things that uh, I'm hoping, you know, that bothers me, and this is just purely selfish, you know, call me crazy, I don't care, but I hate it when uh, classic airplanes are destroyed in hurricanes, you know, and classic boats, like those beautiful old uh, wooden, like the Chris Crafts and the, you know, and the hand varnished wooden boats and the sailing ships and the, you know, anybody that has a, like a schooner or a, 
or a catch or a yawl, these beautiful sailing boats that uh, go back 100 years or more. Uh, some of the things, the classic Cessnas and Pipers and Beechcraft, you know, like the old fabric ones, like a beach stagger wing, you know, things like that. And I'm just hoping, I'm hoping they got their airplanes out and their boats out, you know, the really classic ones. You know, if you have some modern replaceable, I mean, it's a loss, absolutely. It's an insurance loss, but they'll build you another one. You know, but there's some things that just don't get built again, uh, that we just don't have a craftsmanship uh, like we used to have. We don't have those beautiful, you know, wooden speedboats and, uh, you know, sailboats. Uh, the, the wood's too expensive. It, it, it takes too much maintenance. And, you know, fiberglass is just easier. I mean, it is, you know. Uh, and some of the classic, you know, Cessnas, like the, the 310s and the, you know, the Piper Aztecs and the, uh, you know, the, the, the old Barons, the old uh, uh, Travel Airs, beautiful twin-engine airplanes. Things like that. They, they don't make them anymore. And, and whatever is left, you know, it's like the World War II planes. And when they're gone, they're gone. You know, unless somebody wants to take, a, you know, a gazillion you know, dollars and a lot of time and actually repair these, you know, piece by piece. But I'm just hoping that uh, the folks move their planes and move their boats, you know, or put them in a safe place. Like I said, just a selfish note, but I kind of, you know, I think of it as preserving our history. Uh, and that and the fact that I really like them. It's like I don't watch, I don't like watching classic cars getting destroyed in movies. I'm sorry. If you're going to take a, a Jaguar XKE, you know, from the 60s and crash it, you know, yeah, I mean, the, the monetary value might be, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. They don't care in the movies because, you know, but you, you lose, if, to lose a Jaguar XKE, try something else. <laughs> drive a boring car. If you're going to crash a car, drive, drive a boring car. Don't, don't take away these beautiful, you know, classic automobiles. Just my thought on that. Pianki, you with me on that? What do you think? Keep them talking. I want to call the police. Oh, okay. Well, okay. In that case, I'll, I'll get back to you when you can. There's. Did you do the same article twice? No, I did. Okay, so I got to find. I got to find the other one then, and see if I can. Uh, I had a couple of interesting articles on. Uh, maybe it's just. You know, okay. Well, I'll, I'll find it. And it's probably on my Facebook page. I might have to pull it up too. Let me do this one first. So one of the things we think about, you know, with hurricanes, uh, is the idea of putting all the power lines underground. And I think it's a good idea. We talked about that uh, when uh, Shannon Rice was on here during uh, when she was city council in Milton. And I think she's still in the city council, but we haven't heard from her uh, for a while on the show. Well, people come and go. You know, they have lives. Things go on. Anyway, so one of the things we explored, and uh, we were sort of onto the local power company, is the idea of burying uh, the electric power lines. Well, apparently that makes them more su- subject to floods, too. But if you insulate them, you take care of them. You know, that should be... Uh, uh, thing and, and this is one of the ideas I propose on Facebook is that you know when they're repairing all these areas from the hurricane, put the power lines underground because I think that would be a huge saving. Anyway, got an article here from Fox uh, 13, Tampa Bay, which is right near where the hurricane was. Costs and benefits of underground power lines in Florida, and this is June 14th, 2021. So this is last year, but it's still you know like I say we get hurricanes every year. Ironically, this is from Brandon, Florida. I'm not making this up. B-R-A-N-D-O-N. So Brandon, Florida. But can you imagine living in that town these days, right? Anyway, it says, when the massive power of a hurricane whips through, underground power lines could keep the lights on. We've got a quote here from Sherry Jacobs, Tampa Electric spokesperson, says, this year we are installing about 80 miles of power lines in the ground, and next year that will grow to 100 miles. I think this is a good thing, right? In fact, I think all of Florida in hurricane-prone areas should have underground power lines. That, to me, is a given. You know, stop funding, you know, Ukraine to billions of dollars and prolonging the war, because that's what they're doing. This would have been settled. This, in fact, this war never had to happen. All that uh, Putin was asking for was that Ukraine not join NATO and that you don't put missiles on his border. That was it. There never had to be a war. This is a U.S.-caused war. This, well, it's not a U.S. This is a Brandon, Democrat, Marxist, Republican, deep state, 
permanent war class war. There is no reason for what's going on. And Ukrainians and Russian citizens are paying with their lives for the stupidity and the arrogance and the greed and the avarice and the insanity of the folks in Washington. And that's where the war started. All right, back to the article. It says, on this day, contractors in Brandon installed the underground conduit to carry power lines to Tampa electric customers. The workers contend with the water table and maneuver around gas and water lines already in the ground. Okay, so water table. That's, that's where the water starts. You know, you dig down in some places in the desert, you got to go 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 feet before you hit water. In Florida, you go down about three inches. <laughs> you know, or you, you just hit the ground hard enough, and it, it gets kind of spongy. So the water table in Florida is really high. You know, and it's safe soil, and the water just, you know, the rain hits the ground, and, and the ground is like a sponge, just goes, you know. And it's a good thing, too. If we had clay, hard clay soil, you know, we'd be flooded out constantly. Fortunately, Florida soil, you know, is like a sieve. The water just goes right through and disappears for the most part. I and mean, we do get floods and things, but, uh, you know, we deal with it, storm drains and that kind of thing. And, of course, we have the whole Gulf of Mexico um, to, to do it. In fact, in fact, it, that, that's salt water. So I've always thought that on the rare times we get snow and ice here, which we do get, you know, we get the Alabama cold air comes down and I have seen snow here in, in the panhandle in Florida. I would just say, take the Gulf water, which is salt water, and just spread that on the roads, <laughs> you know, just pick up truckloads of, of Gulf water. And cause that doesn't freeze cause it's salt, right. And just spread that on the roads and we could uh, clear our roads with Gulf uh, ocean water. All right. So anyway, so I try to get creative solutions. So back to the article. Uh, this is virtually every power company in Florida is putting lines in the ground. See, this is a good thing. All right. But we sh- they should be able to get some money for this. You know, this is where the federal government, instead of spending on Ukraine, Iraq and Afghanistan, could have put all the power lines in Florida, Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, all the uh, Louisiana, all the earthquake, uh, Alabama, all the earthquake, uh, Mississippi. <laughs> there we go. So all the earthquake prone states from uh, Texas to North Carolina could have had underground power lines and the power made safe by the money that we spent on Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, and, uh, and Ukraine, probably just on Ukraine, we could have done this, right? but they didn't, they're giving money away. Cause they well, you know, uh, what do you think? They always have been doing that in, in some subdivisions where mm-hmm. you run the, uh, the drop down voltage. What mm-hmm. you talking about? Five hundred thousand volts on the transmission lines, the electro, the electromagnetic. Uh, what do you want to call it? That surrounds the wire, the electromagnetic force. You mm-hmm. have to go down a long way before there's no effect to people walking on top of the surface. No, I don't think any for the high tension lines, like the the actual power lines from the power plant. Those are pretty secure and those are pretty strong. And I don't think you have to put those underground. Yeah, where the real, but the residential, the ones from the local power lines to your home, those are the ones that should be underground. And the new subdivision is absolutely right. They're building, they're building them here now in, in uh, Santa Rosa County. The newer subdivisions a lot of times have underground power lines. You know, Milton downtown and has with underground power lines. And we're only talking about 3,000 volts to the transformer, and the transformer drops them down to your mm-hmm. 120 leg. So, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. I mean, it's already so, done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in a lot of places, it is done. Well, like Milton, for example, where I live, right? So the downtown of Milton has underground power lines, but you get, you know, three, four, five, six blocks away, depending on, on how they've structured this, then the power lines start to come above ground. So they, they've they fixed the downtown, but they haven't fixed the whole town. They really need to fix the whole town, put all the power lines here underground, where they really need it. You know, there's places along the coast, Pensacola, Gulf Breeze, you know, Fort Walton uh, Beach, Destin. Uh, you know, Gulf Shores, Alabama, all these places right on the coastline all have underground power lines. And I think they do, but I'm not sure. So 
similar to, you know, 215-383-3832, you know, hop on and correct me. I'll ask Jennifer when she comes on at 8 o'clock. Now, if water get in them, it causes explosion. Uh-huh. Well, see, that's the other problem. And that's the thing is it's the flood water. So you want to make sure that these are insulated. You know, I, I don't know what kind of rubber insulated coating they put on them. I mean, they have power lines under the ocean. You know, that's corrosive salt water. So you know it can be done. But the question is, how expensive is it? Anyway, so the yeah. article, then we got a, we got a state rep, Randy Fine, uh, Republican Palm Bay, who says when the power goes out, it puts people's lives at risk, and it really puts a crimp on our economy. He says, so spending this money is going to have a massive return on investment, both for health as well as the economy. I tend to agree. So some estimates say massive power outages, as Florida saw with Hurricane Irma, can cost $1 billion a day, not to mention the health and safety risks. Oh, yeah, when the power's out, everything's out. You can't do anything. Your, your hot water's out. You know, uh, nothing flows well. It's like if you have a massive EMP. Uh, Dr. Peter Pryor good. talked about that. What's that? Some ways it's a good idea. Some ways it's a blessing because you can't spend money. Well, not necessarily a blessing. I mean, people we, we hope are responsible enough to spend money, you know, properly, but they don't. It's like on a cruise, right? I love all the people that drink heavily and gamble because they're subsidizing my cruise. So thank you all. So keep drinking, keep gambling. You know, don't drink. But you know, the things that have to be considered is that that? periodically you got to change those cables because, like you say, the insulation Mm -hmm. is constantly being uh, deteriorating. And uh, but if you balance that against the cost of having the power go out every time there's a hurricane, so the power goes out, they and then all they do is repair the lines, you know, above ground, but they're setting themselves up for the next hurricane. You know, so how many times? How many? How many hurricanes does it take to pay for the extra cost of putting them underground? Would would one hurricane save you enough money, you know, in in uh, and, and save enough lives to to make it worth it that uh, the power lines should be underground? See, I think within thirty miles of the coastline, all those lines should be underground. So you don't have to do it for the whole state. You know what happened? See, it'd be interesting to measure the damage in say Orlando versus Fort Myers. Fort Myers got hit hard. I mean, Fort Myers was destroyed. But you don't hear about Orlando as the same, you know, which is more inland, you know, because the hurricane loses steam as it crosses land. So what's the difference in damage between Orlando and Fort Myers? Maybe you don't need to have the underground lines in Orlando, but maybe Florida is narrow enough that you might want to have the whole of Florida have underground lines. But the rest of the country, yeah, you know, coastlines, you know, like how far do you have to go? Well, they, should run the, uh, miles? they should run the They should run the main trunk lines down the middle of Florida and then spread out with your tentacles to the, toward the coastline to the home mm-hmm. there yeah yeah so so then the next question is at what point you know when do the lines go underground i mean so if the main power lines from the power plants you know are above ground at, at how what step down how many transformer levels do you need before you start putting them underground that's an interesting question you know i don't know the answer to that but i hope somebody's looking into it i mean that's why we have power companies anyway so this is they lost a, they can lose a billion dollars a day now, here's one. The Florida legislature passed a bill in 2019 requiring power companies to put lines underground. So we're already working on this. This is a good thing. Opponents warned it will drive up power bills. Like, again, what's the cost of a hurricane? Right? It says it's not easy or, or fast, but uh, burying power lines can cost as much as $600,000 to $1 million per mile. Well, if you're losing a billion dollars a day, you know, and you lose your power for, for 10 days, that's what? You know, that's $10, $10 billion. Well, how many, power, how many miles of power lines can you build for the amount of money that you would have lost if you hadn't put them underground? Anyway, so so far, local power companies in the Tampa Bay area say they are buried from 35 to 45% of their lines. Well, that's good. 
So they got over a third of them buried. They have a process for choosing where to bury them next based on a number of factors. Things like what wind zone it's in, what flood zone it's in, how the tree canopy is in the area, what the age of the equipment is, and how did that equipment fare in previous severe weather. So those are the things that they, uh, they look into. This is their drawbacks. When something does go wrong with underground lines, they have to dig up the earth to fix them. So there's the downside. Okay? So if you, you can bury them, but, you know, if you're going to go fix them, you've got to go ways down to, to find out, you know, where that, uh, where that is. I find it interesting. Let's see if we can uh, see if I can find my other article here. I had two of them. That's the fox line. Ah, here we go. Oh, I got lucky. I found it. So here's another one here. Should power lines go underground? And this is from the University of Florida. Uh, they they studied this. The U.S. Director of Energy Studies observes that installing power lines underground to prevent outages during hurricanes may not be the magic bullet they many are seeking. Okay, it's got a couple of different views here. Uh, Let's see if I can get to the. Uh, benefit analysis. It says, in addition to, to the capital cost, underground, undergrounding, I guess it's a verb now, may make routine maintenance of the system more difficult, thus more expensive. Then it says, electricity service is valuable. A 2009 study from the Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, near where I used to live, estimated an economic cost of $10.60 for an eight-hour interruption in electricity service to the average residential customer. Doesn't sound like a lot. Anyway, the, yeah, this article is more of the same thing, so I don't, I don't need to cover this one. Um, but, um, yeah, so that's, uh, that is interesting, I find. So we got to, eh, about 20 minutes before Derek gets here. I want to talk about the continuing resolution when he gets here. Um, there's some other stuff that uh, – I wonder if I want to cover this at this particular time. Let's see where we want to go here. We got monolithic domes. That was interesting. There's a couple of other issues in the news. Iran uh, is kicking up uh, hugely. There's, there's, a, there's a big uh, – uh, revolution going on uh, in Iran right now because there was a woman who was killed uh, for not wearing her hijab properly. And it's interesting that uh, they disrupted the internet and we lost uh, Iran on our map about, the, about when this happened. And so I'm, I'm concerned. I'm actually uh, trying to get a Facebook friend uh, who's from Iran and we'll see if we can uh, get a report. So uh, that will be safe for her to do. And so we'll, we'll find out. But uh, anyway, so there's some, some interesting things things happening out there. So we got the Iran, we got, uh, here's one. This is one I think you, you gave me. Uh, he had a comment. Yeah. Iran's a sovereign country that they set up their societal rules and regulations, however they want to, the people yeah. direct the government. Are they free to leave? See, that's the real question. Are they free to leave? Yeah. You, okay. I mean, they don't have a wall around the country. Yeah. Take off running in town, you get ready. See, we had a lot of folks from Iran when I was in California, but they got out during the, you know, before the Shah left. You know, whole families went out. You know, so I'm wondering, you know, before the mullahs took over, before Ayatollah Khomeini, you know, are there travel restrictions out of Iran? I mean, that's something I want to find out. That's going to be interesting. I got a whole military thing I want to report on, too, but I think I'll save that for next week. We don't have enough time for that right now. Yeah, yeah, like we say, that's Iran's a solving country. That's something for the people of Iran to work out. They don't need mm-hmm. to have any outside interference. Yeah. Now, did you feel the same way about Iraq, for example? I feel the same. I feel that way about all countries, yeah. and I also feel that way about states to a point too. Mm-hmm. Uh, if parents want to use corporal punishment with their children, that's the parents' responsibility, not the government. As long as you're not of course, killing the kids, but uh, mm-hmm. 
that's tradition no, that the traditions that lie within society that need to be left to their society. Leave us, leave them the hell alone. Yeah. Yeah. I said this during the Iraq war, you know, is, uh, uh, what's his name? Saddam Hussein, a bad guy. Yeah. He was terrible. He was a dictator. He tortured people. He was horrible. Is it our responsibility to go, you know, start a war there, save Kuwaiti oil and overthrow him and uh, install a new government? No, You know, I mean, uh, can we give them the tools to do it? Can we send them, uh, you know, 100,000 AR-15s and say, here, you take care of them? It's your problem. We could have done that. Well, yeah, even in that, uh, Nigeria tried to get the same type of technology to fight the terrorists in the northern region. Obama wouldn't sell it to them because of their human rights issues, quote, unquote, same-sex marriage and abortion on demand. Oh, they didn't have that, so they, he wouldn't give them guns to defend themselves? What an idiot. Absolutely. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, see, I'm a firm believer in, in people, if they want to fight for freedom against the tyrannical government, I'm all for aiding those people. You know, but I'm not for sending us over there to start a war. I mean, people have a certain responsibility, even in a dictatorship, to resist. We have a responsibility to resist the illegal government that we have. And we do it here on the show every day. You know, and, and I mean, I, I'm risking an FBI, you know, visit. By doing, I don't care. You know, that, I've already made that decision. Well, you know, and, and are they going to visit me today? Probably not, because I'm not big enough. But we will be. You know, who's to say that six months from now, you know, we aren't huge with with multi million of listeners, and you know, and the show's canceled. Nobody knows why, and I'm in an FBI uh, holding place. And it could happen. Well, if Take they come into Florida, yeah. mm-hmm. they need to check in with the county sheriff and make sure that what they're coming in there for is constitutional. If they're not, they should be made to say, go home. See, that's a good question. Would the county sheriff, you know, if I called the county sheriff and said, look, the FBI is here, they're trying to take me out. Can you guys come visit? (laughs) Would the county sheriff uh, keep me from being, uh, going to uh, an illegal FBI search and seizure? That's a really great question. I'm going to ask him that. So illegal FBI KGB search. They got the ability to to do so. They have what's called territory jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I should get to know my sheriff again. I've had him on the show. Sheriff Johnson's been on the show. He's a great guy. Ter- what do they call territorial jurisdiction? You know the funny thing about all of these conversations? What's that? People have the power to change things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But they won't do it. Well, they're not organized. You don't have to call them Schumer. You don't have to call Pelosi. <laughs> if you got to depend on Schumer, Pelosi, and that other guy that looks like a Neanderthal, square body, square head, square jaw, <laughs> what the hell is the use McConnell? of voting local? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. You know, and I think about stuff like that, you know, how many how many um, people does it take to change or to get one of our laws passed? How many how many people have to send in the links to the bills, you know, to major media uh, and Congress and the state legislatures and local governments? What is the tipping point? What is the point at which, you know, citizen legislators, citizen lobbyists, citizen advocates can actually make some real change in the laws that govern us? See, I don't know. I want to find out. But, you know, the, the mass apathy, see, people forget, too, and I read this somewhere, that the Nazis, only 2% of Germany were, were Nazi party members, and yet they ran Germany. So 98% of the people 
you know, could have easily dealt with those 2% of the Nazis, but they never did because they weren't organized and they felt powerless and they were made to feel as individuals. They didn't feel like they had anybody else. Well, it takes certain individuals to stand up and be counted to hopefully have the other individuals join us uh, so that we're not individuals anymore. <laughs> we become a force bigger than the tyrannical government force opposing us. You know, and there's always enough, well, you know, uh, someone, go ahead. Someone was talking about Alaska, and you know, Alaska pays its citizens royalties based on extraction of energy. But since Brandon has been in office, that has curtailed that, and it has affected the pockets of the revenue that the citizens. How do they curtail it? That's that's a lot of compliance. How do they? Uh, same way you've done away with the pipeline. So that's paid say. from the oil well, companies. A, that's paid from the oil companies to the people. That doesn't go through government, as far as I know. Well, if you, if, if you say the oil companies can't pump, then that affects the oil companies. Oh, that's what I said. But okay, on so the other just, hand, yeah. mm-hmm. on the other hand, offshore oil well drilling, if you within the lines of the boundaries of a state going outshore, offshore into international water, even before international water, really, well, those revenues should come back to the residents of that state in the form of royalties. Not all of them, but you know, royalties can't come back to the people of the state and help Absolutely. them in many different areas. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree completely. Um, in fact, well, this is where the states need to take charge. And we've talked about the states have the power to take all the land that the federal government is currently occupying illegally within their state and take it back and start drilling for oil. They could do that today, you know, if they wanted to, but they don't. They don't want to. And so this is something, I don't know how we deal with this, because this, this is a huge problem, is that people have been disempowered. Uh, they've, been, um, they've actually believed the propaganda that they can't do anything. You know, people say all the time, I'm just one person. What can I do? Well, I'll, I'll tell you now, I'm one person. I'm just one person. You know, I'm just one person. That's all I am, right? And what do we have now? We have Action Radio. We have 20 reporters, about 20 specialty groups. We have some of the most incredible guests in the country, you know, uh, at some point coming on the show. We have an entire citizen legislature. We have the means to change any law that we want to by simply writing a new one. If enough people support it, it will go through. I'm convinced of that. And I'm just one person. So, so the guy, don't, don't tell me you're just one person because I'm not going to buy it. I'm just one person. And here we are eight years later. But, you know, I mean, things take work. I understand that. So this nonsense about people can't make change, you know, I made change and then Pianchi made change and then uh, Wendy's here and she makes change and Derek makes change. And, you know, all of us who have information and bills and things that we talk about and actions that we're taking and Shirley makes change. She's getting more women, you know, instructed in firearms. I mean, everybody here makes change and they all make different change. And then the change is good. And everybody does their own specialty and all of us are just one person. And yet here we are. But you got to believe you can do it. You, you can't sit back. And, and say, I'm just one person. I'd rather watch football and drink beer and escape and take my blue pill and sit around and just complain. Because unfortunately, we have to have freedom. We have to drag you into freedom, you know, kicking and screaming. If you're happy in your socialism. Because I'm not. But I can't have freedom unless everybody has freedom. That's why I have to drag everybody with me. You know, because freedom doesn't just work for one person. Because you're never truly free if that's the case. And so we all, just like the founding of this country, you know, we were at our freest at our founding. And gradually it's gone downhill as we've, as we've gotten closer and closer to, uh, you know, say the second law of thermodynamics, proceeding towards uh, entropy, you know, proceeding towards disorder, 
well, society proceeds towards government control, inevitably. So we need to take a whole bunch of it back, and that's why we're trying this this big experiment here. I think it's going to work. (laughs) Or believe me, I would not be spending my entire time with this. I'd be doing something else. But uh, no. But again, everybody's just one person, so don't give me that excuse. I don't buy it. Okay. Biden administration gives $41 million in contracts to Soros-linked group to help illegal aliens fight deportations. Well, that's a sad commentary. (laughs) This is from the Epic Times. And this is from September 29th, so yesterday, by Frank Fang. Is it like Fang Fang? F-A-N-G. Frank, thank you very much. Sorry I made fun of your name. Article says the Biden administration, oh, sorry, I swore I misspoke again. The Brandon Insurrection Coup Dictatorship has awarded $41.3 million in federal contracts to an advocacy group aligned with the progressive left's Vera Institute of Justice. I've never heard it. You know them? The Vera, V-E-R-A, Institute of Justice, which helps illegal aliens, not immigrants, you morons, illegal aliens, fight deportation from the United States. Well, first of all, if they're an illegal alien, there is no fight. You're, you're an illegal alien. Get out. <laughs> you know, the, the, how do you fight for people that are here illegally? The mere fact that they're here illegally is a confession that they're guilty of being here illegally. What's, what's, the, uh, what's the problem? Anyway, says so the Acacia Center for Justice, a Washington-based nonprofit, oh yeah, sure, tell me about it, created through a collaboration between the Vera Institute of Justice and the Capital Area Immigrants' Rights Coalition, in other words, they mean illegal aliens, was awarded six contracts from the Department of Justice, well, or lack thereof, the FBI KGB, to provide, quote, legal services starting on September 1st. Well, according to this, I guess that's already, uh, that's already happened then. And this is according to government records. Okay, so I'm a source. We've got a real person. The Vera Institute of Justice, when that's a mistake in terms, received millions in funding from George Soros' Open Society Foundation. So if you wonder what the problem is, folks, you know, the, the, the Brandon Insurrection is bought and paid for. Uh, a lot of it comes from George Soros and this Vera Institute of Justice, and the government's giving money to our enemies to destroy us. That's what's going on. So what are you going to do about it? Okay. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I haven't quite figured out this one. But at least I'll get you the information. The very and the Epic Times is getting this is where I got it from. The very Institute of Justice has received millions. This is on this website. The Acacia Center for Justice says its mission is to expand on Vera's work over the past 20 years in providing legal support, in other words, illegal support, and representation to immigrants, in other words, illegals, facing deportation through the development, coordination, and management of national networks of legal service providers serving quote immigrants, which are really illegal aliens, across the country. So the reason these illegals are here is because there's an entire network financing them being here. So the government not only opens the borders to bring them in, they allow, you know, communists like George Soros to fund organizations like the Vera Institute of Justice through the Acacia Center for Justice to fund lawyers to keep people here. So the government is paying lawyers to keep people here illegally, while the other part branch of government is trying to kick them out. That's insanity. That is irrational. That makes no sense. And yet here we are. But what do you expect from a coup, from an illegal government? An illegal government is going to continue to act illegally because they don't care. They've already got permission from you to do it. They got permission from the geldings to do it. The gelding old party, the, 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 the so-called Republicans, the transgender Democrats, have done nothing about this. In all of, uh, you know, uh, Marxist McCarthy, uh, of his, uh, you know, soon-to-be speaker, <laughs> right, uh, of the House, in not one of his commitments to us did he mention illegal aliens and getting rid of them. Not once. Not once did he mention the national debt. Not once did he mention the Constitution or correcting the election. Not once did he mention anything of true value to this country. 
All they talked about is the same old stupid fluffy talking points, which we know they're not going to get anything about because all they are are talking points. So there we go. <sighs> Derek is here. i got one more thing to cover. Pianki, do you have a comment on that? I mean, the, the, the thing to do, the, the cure for that is get rid of the Brandon insurrection. That's the cure. Well, all you got to do is follow the law. Yeah. If you follow the law, you have no problem. I can't understand mm-hmm. so many, you know, people will rather put wrong and right in front of the law. Wrong and right is subjective. The law mm-hmm. is the law. Yeah. Yep. Well, the cure what do they is call it that's the color of the law. Say that again? What do they call it? The color of the law? Well, acting under the color of law means, in other words, you're acting under the authority of law. It's another way of saying, um, you know, authority. So that's what the color of law. In other words, the color is blue, right? So, so the law enforcement in blue is acting under the color of law. They're acting under the authority of law. I'm not sure how that originated. It'd be interesting. We'll do a little word search. We'll find out where that came from. But that's what it means. All right, we got about five minutes before Derek gets here. I want to get to the, the last thing before uh, we talk to him. We're going to cover this as well. <clears throat> and that is Biden signed stop getting bill to avert partial government shutdown, which is really too bad. We, what we really need now is a government shutdown because the longer they're in operation, the more damage they do. This is from the New York Post, September 30th. This is from today. I'm going to say insurrectionist Brandon. <laughs> they say President Biden, but they don't know any better. Insurrectionist Brandon Thursday night signed into effect a standalone continuing resolution passed by Congress to a government shutdown before a current meeting was set to expire at midnight. Now, the reason this is significant is it wasn't a reconciliation bill. If it was a reconciliation bill, it would have cost trillions more because the Democrats would have rammed through all kinds of extra spending because they would have raised the debt ceiling yet again. They would raise the debt limit yet again. But because for some reason, I'm not sure why, I mean, they actually did this right. It didn't go through as a reconciliation bill. It actually went through as a continuing resolution. The Republicans still had the filibuster. So they still had a little measure of control on this bill. Why? I don't know. Because they should have had control over the, uh, the Green New Deal. They should have control over the unemployment and the infrastructure spending and the inflation bill. None of those are reconciliation bills. Yet they all went through as reconciliation bills. Why this one didn't is a mystery. But it's a good thing. I'm just curious because they actually did the right thing. It was a standalone bill rather than a reconciliation bill. Anyway, House of Representatives passed this measure. 254 people voted uh, incorrectly, 175 voted correctly after it was moved along from the Senate, where 65 voted incorrectly and 35 uh, voted uh, correctly to, to not have this. The stopgap bill includes language to keep the government funded through December 3rd. Oh, boy right after the election, in addition to disaster relief funding and funding to aid with the resettlement of Afghan refugees. Okay, well, that's stupid. Uh, those aren't refugees. Those are people that stuck under the airplanes, you know, during our surrender. People who were sent back to Afghanistan, not settled here. They're not refugees. If they were refugees, the places should have gone to Saudi Arabia or Pakistan or India or some country next door. Not us. We've talked about that before. All right, so disaster relief funding is a good thing. Afghan refugees is a bad thing. But here's where it gets interesting. This passage comes after the Senate Republicans blocked House passed because Nancy Pelosi controls everything. There's only vote in the House of There's only one in the House of Representatives. That's Nancy Pelosi's vote. Nancy Pelosi, as Speaker of the House, controls all the Democrats, and all the Democrats vote with her. Therefore, she's the only vote in the House. There are no Republican representatives in the House. They don't count. They don't exist. They're nothing. They're zero. Nada. They might as well not even be there. Because Nancy Pelosi rigs all the votes with the, the, the Democrat majority, which really isn't a majority because the Republicans won, yet the Democrats overturned just enough seats to get the majority in 2018 and 2020. 
So none of this has to happen because they're geldings. The Republicans are transgender Democrats. They don't care. They'd rather be comfortable losers than uh, winners who actually help our country. Anyway, this passage back to the article says comes after a Senate Republican. They did this right, actually. Blocked a House passed short-term spending bill because they had the filibuster, right? Remember that? That included language to raise the debt ceiling, saying they will not support increasing the federal government's borrowing limit as Democrats look to pass a sweeping multi-trillion dollar social spending bill. And this is what I want to talk to Derek about, because this is key. The Senate Republicans, through the filibuster, and this is why the filibuster is so critical, right, blocked uh, an attempt by the Democrats to raise the debt ceiling, probably to unlimited amounts, and spend a multi-trillion dollar amount on social spending. In other words, communist uh, socialist spending. That's what was blocked because of the filibuster. Now, why they had the gonads to do it this time and not the other times, I don't know. But for some reason, the Republicans actually made this a standalone bill, used the filibuster, and blocked multi-trillions of dollars above what it should have been. But it's still a problem because they're not using the correct process. The correct process is 13 appropriations bills that go through the budget and appropriations committees. They get voted on individually, and that's what creates the budget. It takes all year. That's the proper budgeting process, and they're not doing it. They haven't done it since Obama. Okay, that's my speech. Piaki. I wonder how they think all this is going to be paid back. Oh, they don't care. They don't care. See, that's the thing. They don't, Derek's on the line. I'm going to ask exactly the same question. I don't think they care if it's paid back. I don't think that matters to them. I think what matters to them is getting elected and increasing the debt ceiling. This is why our bill, our constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money is so critical. I think now is the time when it might actually pass. If I can get to Trump somehow, and he can start talking about that in his rallies, and that becomes part of the 2024 campaign, if we can actually get there and partner up with, uh, you know, with the MAGA movement and say, look, we'll be your ideas factory. We'll be, this is what Matt Gates calls us. We'll be the generating force. We will be here with the ideas that you need to fix the nation with bills that will create unparalleled freedom and prosperity. And the most important one I see is taking away the power of Congress to borrow money. That would cure all of this. And, you know, here's the thing, too. Uh, where in the heck do they believe this is is going to end up? You, you, you keep printing this money, care. printing this money, giving these bills. That's got to be – that's beyond the ability. And what happens if a real emergency come, uh, issue comes up like a war? Well, you know, the, this, and this is why that's the first objection to my bill, when they say um, – that uh, well, you can't have a you can't stop Congress from borrowing money. You know what? What about a war? And I said, oh really? So if China launches missiles against us, Congress is going to suddenly meet and borrow money? <laughs> no, you got to prepare ahead of time. Hold on, Piaki. Let's get to Derek. Money. What is it? How does it work? How do you get it to work for you? So many choices: stocks, bonds, mutual funds, commodities, and then there are the markets. Oil, gold, manufacturing, trade, energy, even government? To make sense of all the places your money can go, Derek Park of Edward Jones Financial Advisors joins us Fridays at this time to make sense of the market and your money. See what you walked in on? <laughs> I had just briefed everybody <laughs> on the continuing resolution. and, and uh, But here's what's interesting. And, and so well, we can get to, to Pianca's question, too. But the Republicans did something right. They actually used the filibuster. 
this did not go through as a reconciliation bill because, of course, it wasn't. But why didn't they do that on the, the inflation-causing bill, the hyperinflation bill, uh, the Green New Deal, and any other, the infrastructure bill and things like that? Why did those get through, which were not reconciliation bills, as reconciliation bills, and this one didn't? You got any insight on that? I'd be curious. No, but um, the so-called Inflation Reduction Act um, included modification to taxes to include raising taxes on everybody. Uh, people that made less than ten thousand uh, dollars saw the saw the biggest increase of three point one percent. Anybody above ten thousand dollars to about a hundred thousand dollars saw an average of a two percent increase, and mm -hmm. then everybody beyond a hundred thousand was about a two and a half increase. Um, so you know, so of course. Is that the Say policy again? tax the poor? This is like reverse Robin Hood. <laughs> yeah, that makes so, sense. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know one of his campaign promises is you know nobody under four hundred thousand will see any tax increases. But you know, I mean that's that's not accurate because of the Inflation oh. Reduction Act. Um, you know, so that everybody was never accurate. That was always yeah. a lie. We all knew it was a lie. And what do you expect from an illegal administration? You've got a bunch of criminals who are right. occupying the White House. Why should they ever tell the truth? See, people have this bizarre you know, thing that, we have, that these people can live up to normal expectations of behavior because they have some kind of code of honor. They stole the White House. They shouldn't be there. So anything they, if they say you know, this is the Inflation Reduction Act, or as I call it, the Hyperinflation Act, they don't care. Well, let's get to Bianchi's question. He really asked a good one uh, as, you, as you entered the firestorm here, Derek. Um, is that what do these people think? How long do they think they can do this? What is it about them that thinks that they can uh, perpetuate this, this madness forever and never pay it back? What, what, are the, what do the financial folks say about that? Um, I mean, uh, the way that they're paying it back is, I mean, inside the Inflation Reduction Act, there's a tax increase. I mean, when okay. you talk about, you know, a, a, let's just say a 2% on average tax increase, I think that creates a deficit. Um, I think the estimations of um, something like nine hundred billion dollars. So it's like almost a trillion dollars of mm -hmm. you know the money that comes in. So I mean, they basically just wrote a check for it. Um, you know, I mean, now for the other bills, I mean that that covered uh, basically a year. You know, nine hundred billion a year. So I mean, mm -hmm. imagine you know over three or four years. I mean, they supposedly have enough money to pay for this now by taxing Americans. You know what I mean? So, um, you know, are, are, are most people going to notice it? You know I mean? It, you, you can move something by 2 or 3%, and, you know, as long as everybody's getting their cost of living raises and so on, they probably wouldn't even notice it, to be honest. But, I mean, the fact is, is it was said it wasn't going to be done, and it was done. So, um, <laughs> Well, that's why they said yeah. inflation at uh, 2% because they think people won't notice. I notice. I notice because I know it's there. I want, I want 5% deflation. You know, that's where I am. So anything less right. than 5% deflation to get us back to a, a decent uh, value for our money to me is, is economic treason. So I'll be blunt about right. it. But uh, Pianchi makes a good point. I, I think the same thing. These people are insane. They're irrational to think they can spend this much money. And the Democrats want to spend more. It's only because the Republicans blocked them because they actually used the filibuster. They did not let this become a reconciliation bill that, of course, I'm sure the Democrats wanted because they want to rule the world with 48 senators. And they don't even have a majority. And yet they're in the majority. Right. Uh, we can go through why that is in a bit, but the, the point is the Republicans gave the Democrats the majority in the Senate, even though they have 50 senators and the Democrats have 48. But the point is that they stopped the massive national debt limit increase and stopped several trillion dollars in spending 
And yet they still spent way too much. But what is it? What are the Democrats thinking? How long do they think they can do this before the economy and the country collapses? Or do they even care? Or is that I a rhetorical question? I don't know the answer to that. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> okay. yeah, I get it. <laughs> That's fair enough, yeah. Well, the question itself yeah. is the answer. You know, yeah. <laughs> and why aren't they even asking? The fact that they're not asking that question. Well, this is why I say the, the solution, the, the critical solution. And here's, here's something. Well, let me get your view on this, too. Because of the economic times we're in, because we're under an occupation government, because – and I can say it, you can't. I, mean, I understand that. Um, but because we're under these uh, – basically a dictatorship of, of the insane, an idiocracy that thinks they can, can perpetually borrow money and that this will never, they'll never stop, or at least not during the time they're there – that uh, the, the time has never been better for a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. We may get it. If, if Trump starts cranking up that campaign and if I can get to the, the MAGA folks and if, I can, if we can sort of merge in with their campaign a bit and become uh, you know, well, consultants, wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Yes, Action Radio, consultant to the uh, Trump 2024 campaign. You know, and, and that's the first thing I do. So here, here's this bill. This is the one you need. This is the one that's going to change everything. It's going to eliminate inflation. It's going to eliminate borrowing. It's going to pay off the national debt automatically when the bonds mature over, as you've said, 30 or 40 years. You know, it'll increase the value of the dollar. It's going to lower prices. It'll increase the value of savings. Uh, and there'll be no need for a Fed because the, the, the money supply will be pretty constant because the, the value is constant because they're not printing anymore. I What's mean, the problem? It well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It yeah. yeah. So the only people who could object to it they are people say, in Congress who want to borrow more money, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jackie? It said that the uh, debt per taxpayer is 245191 but the liability, yeah. the, yeah, the liability per citizen for the unfunded uh, liability is 515604 So you talk about close to... Nine hundred, eight hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars per uh, taxpayer to cover this. What Congress is doing? Yeah, but we don't own the debt. Yeah. Uh, bondholders own the debt. Well, who owns the debt, Derek? We should probably talk about that real quick. That might be a, a interesting lesson for people. It's a little bit of a tough question. Um, you know, I mean, you okay. you would say that bondholders hold the debt, but that's only that's only going to be like a, a portion of it. And I wouldn't know what those portions are off the top of my head. I'd have to go okay. research it. But yeah. you know, I mean, ideally, most of the U.S. debt is owned by the bondholders because we issue bonds. You know, right. I mean, that that back our currency. Um, you know, I mean, and now, I mean, you, you have to understand with, with us rising the interest rate as aggressive as we are, our bonds are a hot commodity right now, very hot mm-hmm. commodity. Um, you know, so the, the U.S. knows that, I mean, and that's why our dollar is getting, getting stronger is because our bonds are growing in value. Um, you know, people know they can go buy those bonds, and, I mean, the U.S. is good for it. You know, I mean, so why not buy you know, a 4% long-term bond and make 4% on it. You know I mean? Every country in the world is all over that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, every country that can afford to buy it. So um, again, you know I mean? When you, when you do that, it makes our dollar stronger. So, um, you know I mean? I, I know I, I'm not trying to support what they're doing. The government knows what they're doing because they can afford to sell those bonds. The problem is, is over, I think the cut line is like 2.75%. The U.S. has problems paying its bills, um, <laughs> you know. Hence, hence, hence the uh, um, uh, hence the uh, uh, the tax raise. You know, what I mean. So, you know, obviously, with the with the tax raise, that that probably solves that problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I say the Fed, with the Fed rate above 2.75%, the U.S. Right. has problems right. paying bills. But doesn't the raising of taxes reduce economic activity and therefore the tax revenue to the government? Aren't they cutting their own throats by doing this? I don't believe so um, because of the, okay. the article that I read, you know, basically said with the, um, you know, with that, with that tax raise, I mean, that it created a surplus, you know, so. Um, of revenue? I, you know, maybe. We're talking right, about revenue, yeah, right? maybe. Okay. That's correct. Are they going you know, I mean, to so, give it back to us or are they going to spend it? Is it going to go into is it going to go into productive commercial loans or is it going to go into socialist Green New Deal programs? I mean, this is again, this is a rhetorical question. So the more the government taxes, the more they take out productive capital and put it into stupid stuff. Solyndra, you know, electric cars. I mean, how those electric cars do in in Fort Myers, by the way? Uh, Have you seen any reports on that? What happens to an electric car in a flood? I mean, are the batteries insulated yeah. against uh, uh, against uh, short, shorting and, and uh, shocking people? I mean, does anybody anybody no think of that? I don't I don't I don't know no. either. That that's Monday's show. Right. You know what, what happens to electric car? You know, in a hurricane. We now know. Uh, I just I have to find the story. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the madness continues, as far as I'm concerned. These people, I really believe that they do not either do not care, do not consider it. They've gotten away with it so many times before that they can just raise the debt ceiling and just borrow more and more and more money, they think they can do this forever. This is like the bubble. Uh, this is like the stock market crash in 29. It's a similar kind of thing, only on a much bigger scale, that nobody really – or maybe they just don't want to believe that it can end. You know, is there, do you have any – is there any like uh, monetary psychology articles that have dealt into the psychology of debt, of never-ending debt, of perpetual debt, that uh, there are a certain percentage of people in government who think this can go on forever until it doesn't? Is there anything like that out there? I, I maybe there is. I'd have to look. Um, yeah. You know, okay. I mean, I, I don't know specifically. Okay. Again, a lot of times the value is is not in the answer, but in the question. Um, okay. Well, let's get to the report, and then anything you want to talk about. I sort of monopolized a little bit here in the beginning. Tell me what's happening. Okay. All right. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. This is Derek Park with Ever Jones bringing you the daily financial market report. Equities finished at a low, a new low for the year. After a stable bounce on Wednesday, equity markets fell on Thursday and reached a new low for the year as Treasuries come under renewed pressure with the 10-year Treasury yield around 3.75%. The price of oil is holding around 81.50 per barrel. That's much lower than hires reached earlier in the year, and it reflects lower demand forecasts as investors worry about, a glo- worry about global economic growth. Renewed focus and tightening financial conditions, financial dislocations in Europe, and geopolitical risks are putting pressure on equities and soaring investor sentiment. The currency markets have out- outsized moves lately, especially as pairs like the euro, U.S. dollar, and the Great Britain pound in U.S. dollar uh, and Chinese authorities recently announced a move of extensive measures to support the yuan. Investors have fled risk assets and moved into the U.S. dollar, driving up its value against most other currencies. U.S. equities page closed two? lower with the Dow. you got to say page two, like Paul Harvey. And now, page two? 456 points, or 1.54%, to 29,228. The NASDAQ closed down 314 points, or 2.84%, to 10,738. And the 
uh, S&P 500 closed down 78 points or point or 2.11% uh, to 3641. And then the bond market 10-year treasury yields are trading at 3.77% higher by 0.06. In the commodity markets, the price of crude oil was down 59 cents or 0.72% to 81.56. And the spot price of gold was unchanged, um, no movement at $1,670 per ounce. This is Derek Park of Edward Jones, member SIPC. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Hmm. Oh, we have a lot more uh, uh, people listening to us in Canada, Australia, um, and England. So if you have a Skype line or anything like that, feel free to give that too. You never know. <laughs> Maybe we can help you out, um, especially when it's huge, especially as this as this show grows. And I'm expecting some some massive, massive growth in the next uh, year. So uh, this is going to be fun. All right. The price of oil fascinates me. Um, because mm-hmm. how much of that is strategic petroleum reserve dumping of our oil for emergencies and how much of that is just world, like you say, the reduction in demand. Has anybody sort of written about the balance there? Um, I'm sure they have, and there's probably stuff on that. But again, that's something unless I dig directly into it, I wouldn't know specifically. Okay. Do you have a guess? Anything? Uh... I don't really, because I, okay. I, I mean, I would, my, my assumptions in some of the reduction in price is going to be because of, uh, because of fear of recession. Um, you know, I mean, uh, people, when, when you start seeing the dirty R word, you know, tend to, tend to naturally bottle up because they're like, oh no, what do I do? Um, you know, so that, that stops consumer spending. It stops the need for transportation costs, people slow spending. So they're not hmm. transferring themselves as much, you know what I mean? So there is a natural reduction based on, you know, fears of, fears of recession. Um, you know, yesterday the market saw the sizable move. I mean, we had a good day on Wednesday, um, but... and it basically <laughs> chewed all up yesterday. Um, yeah. But um, basically the economic data that locks in two quarters of negative GDP came out yesterday. So, oh, okay. you know, it, it, what that basically did is say we have the data that is confirmed that we're entering recession, you know, but tent, wait a uh, minute. If we've got two negative quarters, I think we've talked about this before. Doesn't that mean we've already been in a recession for two quarters? That's the way I see it. Well, it I mean, it negative has. growth. It has. Yeah. But but the way they announce it is that you've you've been in recession for two quarters, but they say that hey, that's kind of the the, the start of it. What that typically means is, um, you know, you're you're you know you're going to get a little bit more volatility in the meantime, but you're that means you're pretty close to your floor, because typically once they announce you're in recession, the recoveries began. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, so, and we, we've talked about this too. This is fascinating, you know, because of the, the leading and lagging indicators. So, so people need to understand. We've been talking about uh, recession since the government started spending a huge amount of money and and, and locking down yeah. the economy. You know, so we've been talking about this since COVID. So probably 2020, we probably said, wait a minute, this could cause a recession, which is interesting that the re- you're talking about the reduction in spending because people are worried about a recession, which is a reduction in spending. So the reduction in spending is actually causing a, a reduction in spending, you know, and the reduction in spending is causing the, the recession to get worse. So the fear of a recession mm-hmm. actually makes the recession worse because people do the very thing they're not supposed to do, which is cut back on spending. And a recession is defined as a cut back on spending and cut back on, on economic activity. That's what a recession is, you know? And, right. and so people are, are causing the, by worrying about this very thing, they're actually causing it to get worse be, by doing the, exactly the wrong thing. So it's fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, um, um, yeah, well, I, I was going to say a, uh, 
a good analogy I got from somebody is, uh, you know, the the um, economy is backward looking, and the markets <laughs> are forward looking. You know, mm-hmm. what I mean, so they don't necessarily always meet in the middle, nor do they ever correlate. Hmm. I had a couple of things we talked about earlier that uh, it'd be interesting to get your opinion on. Um, one of them is underground power lines. Now, I've talked about that here with uh, Shannon Rice of the City Council of Milton. Uh, I'd be curious to get our, our Florida Power and Light uh, opinion on this, but uh, more and more of Florida is going underground. Um, is there a move to do that? Are there government assistance programs? Is FEMA looking into that? Uh, is there a move in, in disaster relief spending or any companies specifically that do underground power lines from, from above ground lines? Do you have any, any word I'm on that? Sure, sure there is. Um, you know what I mean? But um, – Golly, I I saw an article uh, looking at this Hurricane Ian stuff that said most of South Florida's lines are under underground. There's many that are out out of power. So um, they were saying, you know, how effective is it really? Oh, okay. So the underground lines, they can lose. I see. I thought the whole point of being underground was that you didn't lose power, or at least it would have been in extreme cases. Right, right. Well, that's 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 uh that that's what I understood. But the article was basically questioning the ability of having them underline, un- underground. Huh. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that, that, see, that's interesting. But, but yet Florida's doing it. In fact, Florida passed a law in 2019. I was reading about that in one of the articles I covered this morning that they're doing more and more Tampa, especially this is doing like, what, 80 miles a year of underground or however long it is, uh, wirings. And our new, newer communities here in Santa Rosa County are going underground. So if it doesn't benefit you because it takes more maintenance and cost to, to dig them up and do maintenance on them, why would you do it if it doesn't uh, provide an economic uh, benefit and, and make it better in a storm? If you can still lose power underground, uh, why do I do it? I, I, I didn't read the whole article, to be honest. I just, uh, you know, kind of kind of glazed over it. You know, I mean, it, it's, I, it made sense to me, but, you know, I mean, I, I, uh, I don't know enough about it, Greg, to be honest. Well, that's okay. You know me, I love to ask impossible questions, and I ask them myself all the time. So uh, the fact that we don't all have answers here, folks, for you, if you're new to the show, uh, the questions are more important, and we'll, we'll work on the answers. Sometimes a lot of them are long-term. Well, what's the feeling on the, on, on the market with the, uh, with the massive uh, debt and this, this uh, continuing resolution? And, uh, you know, I, don't the markets, don't they have editorials saying, please get back to appropriations, get back to a normal budgeting process so our companies can plan, you know, for the government, uh, the budget. So we used to have, I think it was either 12 or 13 appropriations bills. We take you know, the budget committees and the appropriations committees all year to come up with these because they have to do hearings on all the government agencies. They don't do any of that anymore. They just, they just pass yeah. funding at the, uh, at the same level. And as we went over earlier, I mean, the Democrats tried to, you know, have a have a yet another massive trillion dollar debt increase. Um, but um, what are the financial folks saying? You know, they should be saying to the government, you know, get your act together, start doing appropriations again. Is, have you heard anything yeah. about that? Or what is the feeling? I mean, I I haven't heard anything specific. I mean, I've seen interviews and and things like that. But um, you know, I mean, yeah, the thermometer is that there's some 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 concern. I mean, if you're talking about the market, um, you know, I mean, there's there's huge concern because nobody likes to hear the word recession. You know, I mean, uh, everybody mm-hmm. fears, you know, we're going to we're going to see the 0809 again. Well, I mean, keep in mind, I mean, the Dow's already at 20 percent down. Right. For for, for the year. That's big. Um, so so we're we're talking about, you know, nine months of decline in 08 and 09. It took 13 months for it to hit the bottom. So, I mean, we're not far from it. Um, you know, I mean, but uh, uh 
that being said, I mean, you know, if we had another four months of nothing but down, I mean, golly, we'd probably rival the same amount. Um, you know, so, uh, you know, the sentiment for the market right now is not very great. You know what I mean? Um, and, and typically in a rising interest rate environment, everybody runs to the, to the non-risk assets as in money markets and, and CDs. You know, I was I mean, going to ask so, you about that too. So, uh, do you have any measure of how many uh, of how much is being bought? Because CDs, I remember, I, I was there. You know, in the seventies and in early eighties. You know, I was there for the seventies when, when Carter, you know, had twenty percent um, interest rates, and people were making. They're just letting they're buying short term CDs and just letting them roll over. So they have these ninety day CDs. You know, twenty percent. You know, and they just let them compound. <laughs> so people were making fortunes by doing nothing because the interest rates were so high. Are, are we getting yeah, back to yeah, that? Yeah. Well, um, I, I, you know, that that's a that's a tough metric. I mean, you know, the bottom okay. line is, is is there's a lot of cash on the sidelines. I think the estimate, um, huh. you know, was was like five trillion dollars. You know, what I mean that that there was cash waiting to 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 go somewhere. My personal opinion is, I think that assessment is from institutional investors waiting mm-hmm. to waiting to buy. I mean, one of the mutual funds that I just looked at had $356 million waiting to be injected into some of their funds. So, I mean, I think when, you know, it loads. What happens? What? The market bottoms out according to them or according to their estimates or what? What are they waiting for? Right, right. So, so when they have large cash positions in mutual funds, equity-based mutual funds, that right. typically means that they've either liquidated positions all the money that has come in, they've accumulated and just done minor asset allocations to to keep them moving, and uh-huh. that means that they're they're probably going to do some kind of a power buy, right? That means that they're going to go through on the things that they think have the best prospects to grow or best prospects to grow in share price is what I mean. Uh-huh. Um, you know, uh, they're they're going to inject all the money to it. So, you know, by saying that there's five trillion dollars waiting on the sidelines. I mean, that could be people holding in cash. You know, I mean, you, you have to keep in mind, Greg, as people get older, you mm. know, that cash is king. You know, they tend to they tend to want to want to hang on to a bunch of cash. You know, what I mean, and and uh, it, I I personally believe that when you do that, you're hurting yourself. But it makes them feel warm and fuzzy inside by seeing a big number in the bank. And the banks love that <laughs> because the banks can go can go invest that money, right? Yeah, so I yeah. tell people, I'm like, you need to at least put them in, you know, put them in products where you're turning a bigger profit, especially when CDs are at four percent. You know, what I mean, like, you know, buy buy some CDs. Yeah, inflation's eight percent. You know, so, What's that? so inflation's eight percent. Well, inflation inflation is there, Greg, but it's not going to stay there, right? I mean, if you're talking That's about true. you know what happened in Jimmy Carter. You know, I mean, right. that was roughly a, a four to five year cycle. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, uh, here we are two years into it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that we've hit a peak or not. I personally believe we we've hit a peak. Um, and mm-hmm. the reason I believe that is because consumer consumer confidence trends for the past two months have trended down. That basically means that inflation is starting to have an impact on people spending. Right. right. Um, inflation four months ago peaked out at 9.1% and it's hovered between 8.1, 8.5, 8.6, 8.1, 8.3, right? So it's trending down, right? Um, mm-hmm. Is it trending down quickly? No, but it is trending down. Um, you know, so my personal opinion is, is I think it, it may have found its, its threshold. I don't know mm-hmm. how long it's going to take the Fed to, to move down. In my opinion, um, 
you know, I, I think you're going to see for the rest of the year 75% uh, point basis raises. Maybe December might be a consideration for them to go to 50 or 25. But, um, you know, your next two, your October and November, I think we're on the hook for uh, 75 more uh-huh. um, to make sure that inflation is on its way down. And I think that's going to be <clears> – <throat> that's probably going to be your turnaround point in the market. <clears throat> okay. Um, Pianki, did you have a comment there? Because I, I got a couple more questions for Derek before our, our guest gets here. Well, I wish Derek would describe the definition of inflation for the listeners. I think we've done it, but if you want to do a quick one, Derek, yeah, feel free. Well, I mean, um, hold on a second. Let me get you the book definition first. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I, I can do a, I, I can do a quick I one. Like, I, I can do a really quick and dirty yeah. one. You know, the quick and dirty one is it's well, an that, increase in the money supply. The more dollars you have, when you're inflating, you're not inflating prices. You're inflating the the money supply. You're inflating the amount of dollars in the economy, and that's done by printing. And the reason they print them is because they borrow them. And I don't know how exactly this works. It's something maybe Derek can help with. Uh, I sort of forgotten some of my my economic classes from way back when. But uh, they borrow the money. And then they have to uh, issue the bonds, and then they have to print the money to cover the bonds. Or I'm not sure how exactly it works, but they print money. And then they have this thing called quantitative easing, where they print so much money that inflation actually makes the, the debt look, uh, look easier to pay. So if you owe a million dollars and you print a whole bunch of money uh, and the dollar is worth less, you still owe a million dollars, but it's less value you know, when you have extra money. It might only be worth you know, 900000 you know, in terms of value with all that extra money out there. So I print more money, each dollar becomes worth less. So that million dollars becomes worth less in terms of value, but not in terms of dollar amount. That's why governments print money uh, to, to ease inflation, as they say. But you're inflating the money supply. But the more dollars out there, the less That's each dollar is worth, the more prices go up. Okay. They're printing more dollars. People. Yep. Uh, yeah. So, so they're printing well, how do you expect the person I mean, to go to Walmart to buy groceries? Right. Well, that, so, I mean, he, this, he hit the, the definition, I mean, pretty much on the head. Um, inflation is the... Uh, general increase in prices of goods and services in the economy. When the general price level rises, each unit of currency buys fewer goods and services. So, yeah, but that's that's wrong though, because it's it's not, it's the printing of money that leads to price increases and not the price increase that leads to the printing of money. Right. They've got it it, it backwards. It just just says what inflation is. Lower in the article, it says, cause of inflation, um, you know, generally government opposed by um, controlling the money supply. Yep. You know, so, you know, I mean, well, that's, you, you know, what is definition and what causes definition are two different things. Mm, okay. Yeah, for an average person going to the store, where the government prints a lot of money, then the people that are selling commodities see an opportunity for them to get more for what, more for their price. And that's why the prices right. go up. I mean, well, very some, of that, some of that is clearly uh, you know, c- consumer greed. Um, you know, uh, I think I heard one of the CEOs of one of the companies. I want to say it was it was Kroger, for example, or, or a grocery store. I don't want to throw him under the bus, but mm-hmm. you know, the bottom line was was um, he said if everybody else is raising their prices on certain things and it's not necessarily warranted, and I know by supply chain that we don't have to do it. He said, why wouldn't we do it? You know, I mean, like the bottom line is there's an opportunity for us to make more money, profit mm-hmm. for the company. And I mean, as a CEO, that's my job. You know, my job is to make this company more money, 
and and produce and do it at a lower cost for them, right? Um, and I'm I'm really wanting to say it was Kroger that said that, um, mm-hmm. you know, but um, it was also him or the one of Publix that came back and said, you know, here recently that they were noticing that that you know, and this is the story of consumer confidence lowering. Um, this was like a month ago or two months ago. Uh, that they said that stuff was starting to stick on the shelves and they were having to discount, you know what I mean, to get it off the <laughs> shelves. So, I've seen um, specials. Yeah. I've seen specials in the stores. Yeah. There are BOGOs, you know, buy one, get one. Uh, you know, there, are, yeah. there are different things happening. It's quite fascinating how this is working. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, I got Jennifer here, so we're going we're gonna to switch over here in just a little bit. We're going to talk butterflies, which is kind of cool. Um, but okay. the, I, wanted to, I just wanted to say one thing about the inflation thing before. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll make her line live, see if she wants to join in our economic chat. Um, but uh, this is Jennifer. Uh, oh, I hope I pronounced the name right. Uh, Coopery Weber. Is it Weber or Weber? I, we haven't talked for a long time. Jennifer, good, it's welcome Weber. to Radio. Weber, good morning. Okay, good, good morning. morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, yep, you're live. Yeah. So feel free to jump into oh. our economic chat if you want, and then we'll talk butterflies. Um, but the, the oh, thing that's I not to point- my belly well. <laughs> okay, well, just, just hang out then. And uh, we got Derek Park, who's local to us also. And Pianchi's somewhere either Midwest or, or Louisiana. I'm not sure where she gets around a lot. So the thing I wanted to point out, you're talking about recession and this sort of this expectation. Uh, oh, I was going to make a point. I forgot what it is now. No, this is no fun. This is what happens when I get the, you know, ADHD brain. But if you think it's reached the high point, uh, one of the things that really has helped that is the fact that Congress did not appropriate several trillion dollars more in spending. So maybe because that the Republicans did something right, the, the geldings actually limited the spending of the socialist Democrats where they didn't raise the debt ceiling and didn't, you know, spend X trillions of dollars, which means they don't have to borrow, which means they don't have to print. That may actually have helped cap inflation where it is um, by capping, by, the, by not borrowing an extra several trillion dollars. And so that this might actually be the high point. Has anybody looked into that, you know, based on the continuing resolution? Um, I haven't seen anything like that. Um, you know, so that's, that's, I mean, when you ask these questions, these are very specific things that, that I would have to be looking for, Greg. Not that they don't exist. It's just I, uh-huh. I don't look specifically for them. Um, okay, well, there may be something, some kind of statistic study. Um, you know, I mean, that it holds water, what you're saying. I mean, the government is not, at this point, they're not relentlessly printing money. I mean, that's what um, that's what uh, reducing the balance sheet consists of: is slowing the printing of money, telling banks they need to hold more money, getting money out of the out of the public's hands, right? So, um, and then raising the interest rates, which also is helping getting money out of the public's hands, right? It gets it in the banks because the banks are offering more money for it to sit around and more money. Um, in money markets and CDs. So people naturally run towards those assets. So the banks now have more money to spend. So, I mean, mm-hmm. just FYI, it's a good time to invest in banks in a rising interest rate environment because when they issue more home loans, every 1% spread on a home loan in a bank is a 30 to 33% profit margin for the bank. Huh. They're loving yeah. it. Well, uh, yeah. governments love so, inflation. You know, we you know, know that. Yeah. Yeah. So while the prices are depressed because of market fear right now, when you buy those, you know, for the next, you know, year or so, two years, you know, you're going to see dividend increases in the bank, right? Because they they can't keep all of that money. They've got to pass some of it back to you or they pay taxes on it, right? 
So um, they pass it off to you, and, I mean, that's just a really good opportunity. But uh, I don't want to ramble on. I don't want to take Jessica's time. Um, You know, let's get on to butterflies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, stick around if you can. Um, And actually, it's Jennifer. So, Jennifer, you want to talk uh, – sort of introduce yourself because you're new here. My apologies. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'm scribbling notes now. Invest in banks. Okay. Well, I didn't think about that well, this Derek's morning. Well, okay. <laughs> Derek, why don't you give your phone number one more time here of Edward Jones, where you are, so in case you know, for any of our friends want to give you a shout. Yep. Uh, again, this is uh, Derek Park with Edward Jones. You can get me at 850-995-0082. Yeah, he's in pace, so uh, definitely local. There you go. Okay. Well, back you to have Jennifer. a nice weekend, Derek. <laughs> yep. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Derek. Okay. So yep, by now. So Jennifer, like I say, I know you're new here, uh, but we're very informal, very casual. It's just like one big happy family. Okay. And so uh, some of the folks have been here for years. You know, this we're coming up on our 1000th show on blog talk radio. I don't, I think I'm, I haven't even told Pianchi this, but week Monday, uh, Columbus day is our 1000th show. So we're, we're kind of wow. used to it here. So this, this, yeah, exactly. See, and you know, people don't even know in my local area. It's it's, it's staggering. So let's 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 talk about about you. Let's let's get your a little bit of background stuff, and then we'll because uh, you have a bunch of things we can talk about. But I want to I want to hear about the butterflies because I love butterflies. I used to keep uh, monarchs. You know, when I was no, I go to we had, there's a car dealership in Lexington, Massachusetts that had milkweed plants. So I'd go you know pick up the the milk I take a milkweed plant and take the you know that and put it in one of those big bug catcher things and uh, watch the eggs turn into caterpillars and the caterpillars turn into chrysalis and the chrysalis turn into butterflies and then I let them go. It was great. Loved it. Yeah. Lots of that's, fun. Yeah. That's what yeah. we do. Okay. <laughs> well, so um I'm president of what's called Butterflies in Motion. We're a nonprofit corporation and that's what mm-hmm. we do. We we take the whole life cycle and and show everybody, you know, how it all starts and how it all, you know, ends up. Mm-hmm. So So you travel have, do you have around one of those one. little Do you have one of those little houses or do you have a bunch of those little houses or what what's it, tell us what a butterfly house is. I'm kind of curious. Well, our butterfly house is totally new and innovative. It's um, a mobile butterfly house. So basically we converted a four by eight trailer and mm-hmm. built a house onto it. And then, so that holds the live butterflies. And then we have another uh, display that shows the caterpillars and the chrysalis and then the eggs. And so we take rules and parks and festivals and um, special needs groups. We're going to gate art gateway this week and uh, churches mm-hmm. and, Retirement homes and all that kind of fun stuff. So literally, everybody can butterflies learn. in motion. Yeah, that, that's such a riot. Yeah. Can people walk yeah. inside the, the these these structures, or do they have to see them from the outside? You have to see it from the outside because it's only four by eight. So okay, it you can walk right up to it. So we designed it so that the back panel is um, a door, you know, plexiglass uh-huh. door, and it's right. really low. So even the little bitty kids can look up into it and. Um, you can, you know, take your walker up next to it and your wheelchair up next to it and see right inside. So, and it's actually worked out pretty good with, um, especially with like the special needs groups. You know, when we were down in Navarre originally, um, we, you know, we'd have these special groups go in and sometimes uh, with the autistic kids having butterflies land on them kind of freaked them out. So this is like safe. They're in the cage and you don't have to worry about that. So um, it's it's actually a little bit. Butterfly safe. (laughs) Stay butterfly safe, everybody. (laughs) 
<laughs> watch out for the wild butterflies. Well, well, can people put their hand in you and know, just, like, let butterflies land on them? Do you have, like, a hand port, you know, some kind of uh, rubber thing around your arm so the butterflies don't get out? Or they can actually put their hand in and let butterflies land on them? That would be cool. Um, that would be cool. No, we don't have anything like that. But this is, like, the first year we've, we've started out. So okay. we're learning a bunch of things the hard way. Well, that's <laughs> like usually when we hey, first listen, trust went me. up. Action Radio. How do you think I learned what I learned about the show? Yeah, it's like, you know, don't, don't listen to my first shows, by the way. The first six months, don't even listen. Just don't bother. Just stay away from those. You know, mistakes. <laughs> you know, it, it happens to all of us. Go ahead. It's not, not mistakes, just learning experiences, you know. Oh, mine were mistakes, uh, though. Like, <laughs> you can call what you want. <laughs> well, I made real mistakes. The, you know, first, okay. yeah. the first uh-huh. time I, I put it out, um, you know, my husband and I built it here on, at my house. And the, we have the metal screen there, you know, for so that they don't go out and they have the air. And I mm-hmm. put it in with these um, airbred staplers, right? Mm-hmm. Well, by the time I bounced it around and we got all the way down to Navarre for our first reveal, um, every single one of those staples had popped. Oh. And the whole side of the cage was, was collapsed in on the butterflies and the plants. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no. So, yeah, that was well, drama. Well, Pianchi's on the line. He's in construction. Maybe he can give you some better materials or ways to construct a, you know, in other words, make a better mousetrap. I'm going to make you a better butterfly house. Pianchi, do you have any All ideas? Right, well, I don't I know if, you, up, if you've seen these on my page. All right, go ahead, Jennifer. I ended up putting some big flat um, washers with screws, and so now it can jiggle around and it doesn't pop them out. Ooh, O-rings, shock absorbers. Yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. So. How do you transport? Do you have to like put panels up around it so the wind doesn't blast the butterflies when you're driving this thing? How do you, how do you do that? How do you project the butterflies? <laughs> yes, as a matter of fact, that was another learning experience. We, um, we had to, okay, I had this giant I think tarp here. that I thought, yeah, I thought I'd just put this giant tarp around, cargo strap it down, and there'd be no problems. Well, that was flapping all over the place, all the way down oh. 87. Uh-oh. And I thought, okay, this looks a little too redneck even for me, so we've got to do something. <laughs> so sorry, to, <laughs> I came up with um, with a way to snap them in. My husband um, made some grooves and some boards on the bottom, so the uh-huh. plywood panels sit in the grooves, and then they flip up, and then we have these um, snap hooks that just snap them in. So now we're... Now we're protected, and yeah, you have to do something with the wind because it's like going through a hurricane all the way down there every well, time yeah, you drive. The, you know? the speed is, you know, the, the butterflies are being hit with whatever the, your speed and the relative wind. If you're driving at 75, then they're being hit with 75. That's, a, that's hurricane force winds, you know, so, uh, exactly. so that makes sense. Yeah. Do you know and you know how you test them? it. How do you test it? Well, let me tell you, how do you test it? You know, how do you know it's working? Mm-hmm. Somebody's well, got to crawl alive. Back. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> so I I crawled in the back, and my husband got up there and drove down the road about 80 miles an hour, and I'm bouncing around. And but I had my little wind gauge, which was a little you know desktop American flag, uh-huh. and so I was holding it up around to see if there were any places where the wind was gusting in, and it was good. So I said, "All right, we did it. Now get me out of here." <laughs> <laughs> So that's fascinating. So you were standing in, in a butterfly house on a trailer at freeway speed with an American flag testing for wind. Do I have that mental image yes. right? Okay. I well, sitting, sitting down. I had, I had a little piece of astroturf right under my butt getting bounced around like crazy. 
but yeah, close. <laughs> We're going to give you a round of applause for 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 bravery and uh, and uh, inventiveness. <laughs> what Jennifer won't do for her butterflies. This is fascinating. Uh, again, I, I've been in several butterfly houses. We had them in California. Uh, they were permanent fixtures of, of zoos, wineries, things like that. I've forgotten exactly where they were. But I've had several times, especially mm-hmm. the big Cecropia moths, I believe that's how you pronounce it, you know, land on me. You know, and land, I had one on my nose one day. <laughs> that was hysterical. But usually you get like your arms, shoulders, things like that. No, no, and, and these enormous eyes and these big antenna, these big fluffy antenna looking at you. And, you know, you're eye to eye with a moth on your nose. I mean, I'm, what do you do? It's hysterical. You got to keep them laughing, but I mean, it's it's one of the, one of life's great moments when you have this massive moth, and it, of course they look right at you, you know, because I don't even know if they can blink, but uh, it's it's fascinating. So so yeah, go ahead, comment, and then see if Pianki has a comment too. There was there was this cute little girl down in Navarre when I, I was a docent there for um, a few years, and there was she had these bright pink flip flops on, and there was one butterfly on each one of her feet, and she was scared to move. I said, I think this is the first time ever the butterflies ever held anybody down. It's so cute. <laughs> now, now, do you notice that? Do you notice certain colors because they're probably flower uh, attractants, which proves that butterflies, you know, aren't colorblind, which, of course, they couldn't be, I don't think, because otherwise they'd never find their flowers. But it, are what? there tests of butterfly uh, colorblindness, and do you find certain species attracted to certain colors? And does that match up to the flowers that they would naturally go to uh, in the wild? It is almost creepy how how the monarchs will find the milkweed because that's the only thing that their caterpillars will eat for the host plant. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the middle of the forest out here in the Blackwater Forest, and I thought, well, I'll just throw in a couple plants and see what happens. And they found them. So, yeah, there's something about that color or that thing. They just know that's for me, and I'm going mm-hmm. there. But all the other butterflies will go and visit it too because it has nectar on the flowers also. So I don't think they prefer any color particularly, but um, okay. when you when you do plant for the butterfly garden, um, do big wads of color. You know, instead of ten different kind of plants, if you put a whole bunch of them like the same kind together, it seems to prefer that. Hmm. Because I was just curious if the the color, the pink of the boots of of the girl who was being held down by the butterflies, <laughs> if those butterflies like pink, pink flowers, pink chrysanthemums, pink you know whatever things I can't pronounce because I don't know my flowers. I was just curious. I'd be interesting to correlate that study. Okay. Google it. Pianki, let's bring Pianki back in here. Uh, I hear I hear maybe it's background noise on your line. One of your lines has a bit of noise on it, so I'm not sure if Pianki wanted to speak or he's just happily listening. No, away. I'm uh, muted. Okay. I'm muted, but it's a very interesting story. You know, I think that the colors it gives off a certain frequency that the butterflies are tuned into. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a better way to express it. Thank you. But, yeah. Um, Jennifer, do you have any, any thoughts on that? I do not. I think that's interesting. Maybe I'll yeah. research it later. You know, and this has been such a learning experience. Every time you know, you think you, you kind of know a bunch of stuff about butterflies and then somebody will come in with some other interesting tidbit and you're like, oh, that's true. Well, look at that. So it's a constant learning. Yeah. Let me, let me do my name drop. Uh, the, are you a lepidopterist now, if I may be so uh, <laughs> verbal? Oh, my gosh. Did you study up on this? <laughs> no, no. I, just no, know that no. Word. I also know triskaidekaphobia, <laughs> and I'm not sure why, but I do. So it's just one of those things I know. <laughs> It's fear of the number 13. Isn't that the fear of beat? 
it's fear no, of fear of thirteen. Yeah. Or something. No, oh. well, that's no, that, that's that's porkophobia. <laughs> no, but uh, this is this is the the problem with an ADHD brain is that you retain ridiculous. This is why I, I tried out for Jeopardy. I didn't make it, but I tried out. Um, but uh, I have more weird stuff floating around in my brain than you can possibly imagine. But this, you know, lepidoptery is the study of butterflies, and like philately is the study of stamps, numismat something or other, study of coins. I don't know how I know these things, but it's just it's interesting. So. Were you a biology major in college? Do you have a natural sciences degree? Is this just a casual interest? How did you get into butterflies? Oh, that would have been super helpful. Unfortunately, I failed biology twice. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, was, so much for that. Which, which yeah. proves that, it, that your college degree does not necessarily lead to, uh, to your passions in life. But, uh, so you just proved that theory, which is interesting. So how did you get into it? Um, through the garden club. So a friend of mine, you know, I moved out here from California 20 years ago and started mm-hmm. growing tomatoes because I was going to do something. So um, then, you know, of course, tomatoes are really hard to grow here. So I was failing. And you know what that so is? Says, well, what? Why, why are tomatoes hard it to is? grow here? Um, we get a lot of wilt and uh, mildew and it they can rot from blossom end rot. So it, they're a little difficult. I can do it now, but, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's taken a bit to get there. So she said, come with me to the garden club. <clears throat> huh. So I joined the garden club. And I thought, oh, this is great, you know. And so we, we have an educational program every month, Milton uh-huh. Garden Club of Florida. You guys check it out on Facebook. Okay. And, um, and I thought that was, that was nice and a good social interaction and stuff with people. And you then got birdies. You got birdies back there, don't you? I can hear birdies in the background. Oh yeah, I'm walking the dogs out in the middle of the forest. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Why not? You know, you also in those areas with those high water tables, you have a, a lot of problems with mold. <clears throat> mold even get in your refrigerator and spoil food before you know it. That's yeah, that's why discovered it is your friend. You know, circulating mm-hmm. fans and damperid and air conditioners and all that good stuff. Yeah. I've learned. Yep. <laughs> Took a while. See, now I came from California too, but I came later than you did. I got here in 2017. In fact, I got here February 27th, and I was on the air March 1st. So I had uh, I had one day between when I arrived and when I started a full time job that I've never held before, which was a morning host on a radio station. That was that was oh that's the story in itself. Oh, you know, I, I don't mind taking a risk. You know, I'm, I'm kind of used to it now. Anyway, but I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I was there for the '89 earthquake. I got there in '80. Four left in 2017, you know, and so I, I've got a good experience in California. But California is interesting. It's very dry. It's a desert, uh, except along the coastline where they have this wonderful fog roll in, and it creates the most incredible soil uh, for growing. And, and it's a unique environment. And from Napa and Sonoma wineries, you know, they get the coastal fog. Uh, and you know the difference between uh, Napa and Sonoma. Sonoma wines are fruitier because they get more fog. You know, the temperature difference mm-hmm. is either greater or less, whatever it is. But Napa's drier, and so you get more robust reds, uh, and you get you know, fruitier reds in, in Sonoma. To Watsonville, which is near Monterey, uh, which is the next big bay in San Francisco Bay, and that's where your uh, strawberries, celery, uh, avocados, things like that come from. And then you get the almonds from the inland areas, like around Fresno, where it's drier, and then the raisins, that kind of stuff. Uh, but the soil and the mm-hmm. land makes such a huge difference. But it's been so much drier uh, in California, except for the coastal fog. So you come out here, and it's like thunderstorms every other day. And it's a completely right. humid environment. There's more humidity 
in Florida. Now we had humidity. We had 100% humidity in, in the San Francisco Bay Area too, but it was only during the uh, it was during the summertime. But it was but it, the temperature was 65 degrees, so you didn't care. I mean, 100% humidity and 65 yeah. degrees is no big deal. So the coastal fog really moderated things, but it was a unique environment for growing things, and that's why it's unfortunate. Well, here's a question for you. It's a little off topic, but do you know why so much of our produce still comes from California here in Florida when we used to have orange groves and, you know, and almond groves and all these different things here? It seems like Florida agriculture has cut back. Um, does the garden club, do they talk about things like that? Is, is it a flower garden club or a vegetable garden club or a bit of both? You got some insight for it's me? It's a on, little on, bit on, of everything. Okay, well, tell me. It's a little, it's a little bit of everything. So um, we'll we'll do programs on soil one month, and then next month we'll talk about floral designs. Like there's a um, flower show coming up at the Pensacola Inter- Interstate Fair in mm-hmm. October. Okay. Building seven, and you can see all the horticulture that is grown in this area by people exhibiting and getting blue ribbons for it. Mm-hmm. And then, and there's a whole another section with floral designs. So. I'm also a um, flower show judge. So I do that How does one get also, to be a so. flower show judge? How, how did you get that uh, gig? Well, I was kind of, um, I was, somebody threatened me with it. I'll bet you can't They have ways to said, make you a oh. flower judge. If you resist, we shall uh, persuade you, yeah? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, something like that. It oh, was okay. a challenge, and so oh. you have to go through um, school, and then you have to pass these tests, and it's a school? lot more involved than it sounds. The flower yeah. judge school, really? Yes, yes. Huh. And I had it's no harder idea. than you think. <laughs> well, everything is. Well, <laughs> That's the big lie. Yeah. Everything. First of all, everything. I mean, it'd be like being a dog show judge. You think you just walk up and go, "Yeah, that dog's pretty." No. You uh-huh. have to learn, you know, anatomy and, and, and hair and, and uh, you know, talent and breeding and the, the you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I've, I've watched exactly. the dog show. Don't I mean, ask me why. Yeah, go ahead. Tell there's, me. There's a, whole, there's a whole section of the flower show that's just horticulture. So you have to know what each thing is supposed to look like, its botanical name, um, you know, and, and all of that stuff. Is, see, biology would have helped. <laughs> Whoops. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean you still and can't then, do it. You know, I went back to school yeah. in my 50s to learn radio production because I figured when I, I might have to be a producer and a call screener before I got my own show. <clears throat> As it turned out, I got my own show. You know, I started with, uh, with this and, and I never looked back. But I used my production skills all the time to make, uh, you know, cool things. Uh, and I, w- I was 56 when I went back to community college, you know, Ohlone College in Fremont, California, you know, and I learned how to make things like, like this. Radio, dangerously <laughs> cool. See, you know, I went to school. That is, that is dangerously cool. I like it. We are dangerously <laughs> cool. Yeah, a friend said that one day. She says you're dangerously cool. I said I gotta steal that. She's like, okay, fine. So that's how that's how that came about. Yeah, everything here has a story. But going back to school mm-hmm. is uh, is a is a great idea. I mean, community colleges. I love community colleges or junior colleges or whatever you want to call them. Two year colleges. You know, if you're at a point where uh, in, in life and you want to try something different, go back to community college. Mm-hmm. And, and who cares if you're 68 and the average student is, is 18? It doesn't matter. I go on great with my students. Right. I loved it. So if you want to take a biology class, go for it. There's no reason you can't do it. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of over this. I'm over okay, that. <laughs> I didn't say you had to do it. I just said it's an option. 
but uh, in my case, I got, it works. I got my degree. I got my degree. My husband calls it a, a BS degree because it was psychology. Oh. With a minor in criminology oh. and law. That was fun. A, so you could have been a CSI. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And then he said, okay, I don't want you to work with crazy people or criminals. I said, fine. What are you doing I'm on the show then? <laughs> well, we're not criminals. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, okay. Well, we should get him but on the I show sometime. He sounds like an interesting person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I find it fascinating. The more messed up somebody is, I think it's interesting. So, yeah, it's probably not a good idea to work with them. Okay. So how did butterflies fit into psychology? Because you mentioned autistic kids. You mentioned some other folks. This is like therapy. I mean, we have, we have service animals, for example. I, mean, I see them all the time. You know, in fact, I see people in stores saying, you can't bring your animal in here. It's like, you idiot. It's a service animal. Don't be such a moron. Right. You know, but, uh, but butterflies, well, how did butterflies affect our, people? What do you, what do you see? Our butterfly, our butterfly ambassador is um, my friend's dog, Bailey, and she has a little butterfly costume that she goes around. And when we go out places, she's a therapy dog too, and uh, or service dog, sorry. And mm-hmm. she she gets more attention than the butterflies sometimes. Funny. Well, you you, you just yeah. said you dressed a dog as a butterfly. I mean, I, that would get attention no matter what. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's you so put cute. wings on it. I mean, what does the dog look like? Yeah, she has a little. She has a little butterfly costume that's a monarch wings. Yeah, it's it's adorable. I you want have pictures. To I I want pictures. Okay. Put it in our art. We have an art project. We got to do that. Well, butterflies are like art. It's like nature's art. It's, um, so so. It's on our Facebook re- page. Uh huh. So anybody who wants to see those pictures and see what we do and see all the smiley faces, go to Butterflies in Motion on Facebook. Like and follow our page. That would be great. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I, I don't know if I've seen it. I'll have to take a look. I think I did some research. I know I've seen the butterfly house. I see what it looks like. So what are the reactions mm-hmm. when, when, uh, when you say that when you tell people that you have a butterfly house or that you're going to be bringing it to a school or a nursing home or uh, any place like that? What, uh, what kind of reactions are you getting like before and afterwards? Well, I was wondering, because this is so new, I thought, you know, either they're going to like it and embrace it, or it's going to be laughable and ridiculous. But mm-hmm. actually, we're getting a lot more positive response, and, and people love it. So okay. um, last, last weekend, we went to Defuniac Springs, because their garden club was celebrating their 75th anniversary. Mm-hmm. So we were there, and we're showing people all the butterflies and teaching them how to garden for them and do all that kind of stuff. And then oh, that's since it was the last day, yeah. And then so, since it was the last day of the trip, we were able uh-huh. to release the butterflies. So we opened up the back door, and um, and I got the kids to help me. So they put their hands out, and I put the butterfly on their on their hand, and they flew off. So that those are precious moments, you know. Do you have a video? That'd make a beautiful video. I don't have a video, but I know a bunch of people took pictures, and we got a couple of them on the Facebook page. But yeah, you know, you I mean, said what? How, what do butterflies mean to people? That's another mm-hmm. thing. As as a docent, you know, you're you're getting people to tell you their stories. One girl <clears throat> said she got a um, a butterfly tattoo, and it was the zebra longwing. It's a black and white striped butterfly. It's our state mm-hmm. butterfly, mm. and she said. She has um, the name of a disease where you fall asleep. Oh, I know. Some of the CC fly. Um, I forgot. My, uh, yeah, I know what you mean, though. Sleeping sickness. Yeah. Oh, no. You're talking right, about, right. Um, uh, oh, hang on. I'm, I'm thinking. 
I know what you mean. Necro something or whatever. <laughs> it, you know, it makes you fall asleep. Yeah. Well, that's death. Right. That's something different. So, so she has sleep that apnea. And the... Maybe sleep apnea. No, that's different. That's, no. that's not being okay. able to sleep. Okay. We'll think about Bianchi, it. If you can look it up. <laughs> See if I can borrow <laughs> Bianchi's talents to, uh, to look up sleeping sickness. But yeah. the, so, the butterfly... The mm-hmm. butterfly that is the mascot of that disease is an all-black butterfly. And oh. then she went through some treatments and finally found, like, the thing that worked for her. And so she she said that that butterfly showed her, her sickness and then also the cure. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. So you hear these stories, you know, um, blue mm-hmm. butterflies symbolize um, this woman's daughter who had passed on and it's just it's it's kind of endearing well we had a rare butterfly in in san francisco and it only uh uh lives on this mount san bruno mountain it's just south of san francisco in, in san bruno and it's the only place in the world i think the only two places it lives there and it lives across from uh, the golden gate bridge in marin county and i've forgotten the name of it it's a protected butterfly because two places on earth where, where, where it exists and it's famous and very well known. And if you, if you hurt one or kill one or do something, it's a big deal. And California is, you know, pretty big on that anyway. But um, right. yeah, I only have, let me look at butterfly spirit animal. Oh, let me just pop off the mic for a second and type something up. But uh, do you, have you looked into spirit animals and things like that? I have not. I have not. Hold on just a second. Get over here. <laughs> my dog. This is live radio. Who cares? My right? dog. My dogs are chasing my little pot belly pig, and that is not okay. Okay. You have a pot belly pig? Yes, I have two. One is Roto-Rooter, and then the little spotted one is Trinity, and I rescued her from Hurricane Michael. You named your dog (laughs) Roto-Rooter? No, no, the, the pig. Because we said, well, we don't know what to name him. And then as soon as we let him out in the yard, you know, free Willie, and he dug a hole like a giant crater. I'm like, that's a rooter. So rooter. There you oh, go. That's hysterical. Yeah. What else do you name a pig? Yeah, that makes sense. All right. So my, <laughs> one of my spirit animals is the dragonfly. Dragonflies represent oh. change. And so the reason I'm looking into this, also we had uh, one of my, my extremely good friends, uh, Chief Dan Skyhorse of the Creek Tribe. When we talk about things like this, we talk about the spiritual side of, <clears throat> of creation and the animals and everything and how we're all connected. And so this is why this, this might be, I'm going to post this, I'll, I'll put this on your Facebook Messenger. But there's a website called Spirit Animals, and it's got the butterfly here. And let me see if I can, uh, it says every person has their guardian spirit animal and energy that is assigned to them that is responsible for that person's well-being and good luck. During ancient times, people believed that universal force that was preserved in animal form uh, and was not seen by the normal human eye was a blessing that came from heavenly realms itself. Okay, so tribes have had spirit animals that guarded them and represented their powers. Magicians, people who were practically who were practicing spirituality and were deeply correct, connected to nature, always had their power animal. Okay, so mine, you know, the animals I see when I bike ride on the, on the Blackwater Trail are dragonflies and rabbits. Okay, so those are, mm-hmm. those are like my spirit animals, and the rabbits literally run with me when I'm by myself in bike riding. It's weird. Oh, neat. But they do. Neat. I can't explain it. It only happens when I'm by myself. It only happens when I'm in my zone. But the rabbits, you know, and it doesn't happen all the time, And I, but I do see a lot of rabbits when I ride by myself on the Blackwater Trail, and every once in a while they'll run with me like 50 feet, 100 feet. Then they'll, like, turn around on a dime and go the other way and laugh at me. You can just hear them going, ha-ha, look what I can do. <laughs> Yeah, so, but so that's a spirit animal. So and dragonflies are a spirit animal too. So the butterfly, um, you might find this really interesting when if, if you find people particularly gravitating towards butterflies, 
that it might be mm-hmm. their spirit animal. It's something this is at a whole new dimension uh, to your your uh, your talk, your information. Um, so let me just, yeah, but we, that's we, not we, fair. Everybody loves butterflies. It's kind of like no, but okay, everybody's cool. right. Who doesn't well, love butterflies, butterflies? Like but, you were saying the other day. <laughs> okay. But not everybody hey, has a butterfly you know as a spirit animal. Go ahead. Did you know that dragonflies go through the same kind of metamorphosis as butterflies? Yep, I do. And they do it underwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, butter. You mm-hmm. know, dragonfly nymphs are mean ass animals. They eat everything. They're they're really terrible. You know, they're and in fact, uh, dragonfly. But don't they eat mosquito larvae, or is that just the adult dragonfly? Uh, the adult dragonflies eat adult mosquitoes, uh, like 100 to 150 a day. So I love yeah, dragonflies. Yeah, that's why they're awesome. Yeah. yeah, so that's why you see so many in Florida, because we have so many mosquitoes. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. no, I, I know what you mean by butterflies are for everybody, but I think that you might find, well, let me just read this one sentence. This is, the butterfly symbolizes constant renewal and metamorphosis. Obviously, it flies through many. It flies through the sunny fields and seeks joy and happiness. It is a great symbol of inner and outer beauty and divine power. So your butterflies are pretty significant. Okay, so yeah. so before you dismiss it totally, I wanted to, you know, I'm not the whole thing, you know, but uh, I, I'm going to send me dismissing butterflies. No, no, no. But as a spirit I, animal, the, the concept of spirit animals, I, I detected a slight note of, of criticism in your voice. That I may have picked up on. No, no, never, never. I just want okay. to find the um, the the Facebook game where it tells you which one your which one your spirit animal is. You know, like how is how what, is Facebook what now? kind of soup are you? Or like you know all those ridiculous quizzes. Oh. What is what is your spirit animal? And then it can just tell me. Well, yeah, except I wouldn't do that. I'd go out into nature and find your spirit animal is going to come to you. Unless it's like an eagle flying overhead that you don't see, but you don't know. You know, what if your spirit right. animal is mythical? What if your spirit animal is a dragon? Ooh, now what are you going to do? Yeah, what if my spirit animal is a black bear? I'm no thing. <laughs> well, it could be, but it doesn't mean that you, well, maybe, maybe it's not one that you see. Maybe it's the one you have the characteristics of. This, this gets interesting. <laughs> we, we can wander far afield, which we do here a lot. Okay. Um, but do you see people who really almost have a spiritual experience with the butterflies where they, where they're connecting, where, where butterflies will fly to more, the, more to one person than another. I was describing a, a situation earlier when I was in a place called Par- paradise in Hawaii on Oahu and all the macaws flew up to me and I was like 10 years old and it was getting really creepy. It was like something out of, you know, Hitchcock's the birds because they were all there around me. Scared the hell out of me. You know, you got like 50 macaws yeah. all squawking at you all around you. And they literally chased, you know, they didn't chase me. They were following me almost out of the building. And then the attendants like, what's going on here? So, I don't know. The, the, the birds are following me. It was like, really? That's weird. <laughs> you know? So do you find people that have a, a real experience with these butterflies? I think so. I mean, every once in a while you'll see somebody just staring into it, you know, with the, with kind of a glow, you know, they're just mesmerized, but, that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Okay. So, where's the, where are you going to next and where, where do you want to take this? Where, what's, what's your ambition? Do you want more butterfly houses? Do you want to make bigger ones? Do you want to have like a permanent fixture? What you got in mind? Well, I don't know. Right now, I'm just trying to get through the season. So, okay. the end of our season here is in October, and our last um, public event is going to be at the Christian Life Church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. from 10 to 1. Okay. So you're welcome to come out. You're welcome to 
you know, go to the services if you want to at 9 and 11, um, or just we're going to be outside, obviously, so anybody's welcome to come by. And then then it's butterfly season. It's starting to get cold finally, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's starting to feel like fall finally. So, so we kind of wrap it up for the year and go back to the drawing board and see what we can fix and what we can do better and, you know, improve, improve the thing. And then, um, and this is a good time to tell all your, all your listeners to cut back their milkweed in the middle of October. So if you have tropical milkweed for the monarchs and stuff, you Mm want to cut down the, cut down the milkweed and, and that encourages them to continue their migration. So, Otherwise, they'll stay here um, for the winter and die because it gets too cold for them. Is that what happens? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's kind of ugly. But wouldn't they but, yeah. know that? I mean, the, the the monarchs have been going to San Juan Capistrano and other places for what millions of years. <laughs> you know how? Yeah. How would how would the cutting down the milkweed? Why would that influence them to stick around here? I don't know, but that's what the uh, official lepidopterists say. Oh, so you drop that word too, thing. huh? Okay. Yeah, um, right. but you know the <laughs> the tropical milkweed is not native to this area, to the Panhandle, oh. Florida. So okay. It, so when you introduce something that's not native to the area, then you kind of have to you you have to compensate and and try and mimic what the regular stuff is. So out here in the forest, I've got a milkweed called obovada, mm-hmm. and it's a pineland milkweed. It's already died back. So nature's already saying, okay, it's time to go. There's nothing here for you. Take off. And so it's like when you, when you plant anything around here, that's, that's not native. Like uh, we were talking about the high humidity and stuff. Mm -hmm. Planting roses is is really hard because of the humidity. They get all kinds of problems. So, so you're constantly having to spray antifungal and anti-mold and all that other stuff on them. You know, or grow something else. Yeah. See, well, I'm not believing in native plants. Thing. Yeah. Well, see, yeah, and the, native plants like don't I, require I, a lot of extra. Yeah. Well, because they're, they're used to the environment. They grow up here. Like, I hate lawns. I think lawns are a total waste. You know, if you want lawns, go live in Michigan. You know, go live in a place that has <laughs> lawns. You know, but the, the lawns are stupid. They're stupid in Florida. You know, we have vines and trees and, and shrubs and hedges and, and wonderful plants and things and kudzu and all kinds of stuff hanging off them. Uh, and we have a great environment here. But if you're, bringing in, if you're creating a lawn, you're just wasting your time. It looks ugly. It looks stupid. It doesn't fit in. So go away. Take your lawns and go back to Michigan. Um, but there's some wonderful native plants unless here. You have little kids that want to rent, unless you have little kids that want to wrestle around. Okay, then have a beach area. You know, the, the soil is all sandy, so have a beach at your house where the kids can run around, put in a trampoline, put in stuff, grow stuff around the outside, let it grow over your house, and stop the lawn. Just a thought. So okay. what are good native plants? I'm not plants getting into that fight. Well, I, you don't have to. It's my, my show. It's my fight. You know, and anybody wants to take me on over lawns, grow vegetable gardens, folks. Stop with the lawns. Lawns are a waste of time. They cost a lot of money. They take a lot of fertilizer. They put, you know, all kinds of phosphates in the ground we don't need. Lawns are stupid. Lawns just are, they always have been. I hate lawns. All right. So do you, do you have native butterflies? Do you have exotic butterflies? Do you have both? What do you got? We, we only use the Florida native butterflies. We, we want to teach people about Florida's native butterflies and their environment. So start with the butterflies. It's like getting their attention. You know, anytime mm-hmm. you want to teach something, first you got to get their attention. 
And then you go into, okay, and then you don't want to spray pesticides and then you don't want to do all this other stuff. And here are the plants that are good for it. And, and so, so what are the, the conversation? Are what are good butterfly plants? If people want to attract well, butterflies, that, native Florida butterflies, what, what are good plants for them to grow? Anything that has a flower gives nectar for the adult butterflies. So if you okay. just want to see adult butterflies, plant a bunch of flowers. But if you want to have the whole life cycle and want to, can, you know, see them go through their chrysalis and caterpillars, you need to have host plants. So mm -hmm. host plants are specific to which caterpillar eats what. So mm -hmm. a lot of people will see the caterpillar that looks like bird poop on their citrus. That's a giant <laughs> swallowtail. So okay. it's, um, it's a beautiful butterfly if you can spare a few leaves for the caterpillar. Well, see, that's and the other so, question, too. Yeah. I mean, are, do people lose their plants if they get too many caterpillars? Not usually. Um, okay. In spring, when the monarchs are coming back from, from Mexico, um, I have, of course, a butterfly garden, right? And I have a lot of, of milkweed. And, <laughs> and they will, I'm just teasing you. They will absolutely strip that milkweed down to sticks. So I have mm -hmm. a bunch of sticks going up in there. And then mm -hmm. a couple weeks later, the milkweed comes back. You know, the, the leaves all come back, and then it's ready to go again. So, so it's a resilient plant then. It's, you know, it yeah, goes back fast. Is milkweed, so, native so here, is it milkweed native to here? Is certain types of milkweed are native to here? Uh, I'm not, I'm not really good on are. plants. Okay. Yeah, certain types are, I think there's like 16 or 18 that are in this area, but getting them is hard to, to find. Um, usually we'll see the perennis, which is a white milkweed flower, mm -hmm. and, um, and that one is more wet soil. So yeah. that one you can find sometimes um, when the master gardeners, Santa Rosa County master gardeners propagate it in their greenhouse. So when mm. they have plant soil, that's a good one to get. We should get them on the show. I, I had the, the cooperative service uh, on uh, at one point. This woman there <clears throat> looks like a Girl Scout leader. <laughs> I forgot her name, but she's fabulous. Uh, she told us all about the garden stuff. And we had a guy that knew grasses. And it's like, dude, I don't, I don't like lawns. Oh, this is grasses, not lawns. Okay, fine. Um, but this oh, is, that this would is be all. Dr. Unruh? <laughs> that sounds familiar. Dr. Yeah. And who's the woman? Who's the woman that's this? Uh, or is that Dr. Unruh is the woman? No, Dr. Unruh's a man, and he knows all about turf. Oh, my gosh, it's turf. Yeah, he's the guy. Long. Okay, he's been on. He's been on. This is yeah. back at WBY, so we're talking, you know, five years ago. And, and who's the, 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 the genius woman? Like I say, she looks like the perfect Girl Scout leader. I can see her with the cap and the whistle and the trudging through the woods. Okay, girls, let's pitch our tent here. I mean, she was just amazing. I loved her. I forgot her name, though. <laughs> um, might be Beth Bowles. She's out of the Scandia County. That's her. Yep, that's her. She's brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, Brilliant. yeah, okay. Yep. We gotta get, so if you know them, let's get them back on the show. Beg your pardon? <laughs> there's, there's a few of them. Each, each county has, you know, different agents, and, okay. and they know their stuff. In Santa Rosa County, it's um, Josh. He, he's just started <laughs> with the Santa Rosa this year. Okay, yeah, he hasn't been on the show. But if you know these folks and you're talking to them anytime, tell them about uh, what we do here at Action Radio. I'd love to have plant updates, you know, seasonal things like that. Uh, in fact, we need to get you on again you know, before butterfly season starts in the, in, in the spring and come back and tell us what your, what your plans are for this year. So, uh, you know, okay. we, need, we need our, we need like a, like a semi-annual butterfly update. Uh, and of course you're always welcome to call. <laughs> no, serious. You know, and you're always welcome to call with announcements with the garden center, uh, with any of the plant things, any of the, uh, the local stuff like this, because this is all, you know, this is fascinating. And even though we're a worldwide show, 
Uh, it's nice to have this information locally because, yeah, the plants will be different, you know, in Hawaii and the plants are different in Maine and the plants are different in Arizona. But you all have butterflies and you all have, uh, you know, hummingbirds and things like that. At least I hope so. Um, and, and so it's nice to be able to, to, if this is what you want in your garden, you know, it's great to do that. Um, hummingbirds, now that I mention it, are they competitors with butterflies? Do they coexist nicely? Do they like the same plants? Do they like different plants? How, how, do you, how do the hummingbirds interact with the butterflies? Good question. They are, they coexist nicely. Yeah, they don't really compete. There's usually enough nectar for everybody. But Mm -hmm. um, they like the tubular type flowers a lot. So um, things like the fire bush has like a long tubular flower. They Mm -hmm. like those. Mm. That's a favorite. And, you know, just any kind of flower. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder if the butterflies and, and hummingbirds adapted to the flowers, or did the flowers adapt to the butterflies and hummingbirds, or did they both adapt to each other? I don't, you know, there's, there's no answer to that. I'm just curious. What came first, the chicken or the egg? You want to start exactly. with that? <laughs> sure. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of it's kind of along that path. Yeah, but uh, yeah, and. Uh, but it's just interesting that you, you think about them coexisting. I love hummingbirds. I'm, you know, I love butterflies too. I, you know, anything that flies, I'm kind of cool with. Um, but the monarchs are interesting mm-hmm. because milkweed, and I'm sure, um, I don't know if you talk about this in your talks, but milkweed, it's, it's part of the butterfly's defense system. And the reason they can be so brightly colored is that milkweed, you know, when it gets in, the, in a butterfly system, makes the butterfly toxic to birds. So a bird might try one in its youth before it knows better, but it'll never eat another monarch. Again, and, and of course, birds right. are the, the enemies of butterflies. Uh, do you know other things, other plants that allow, uh, like swallowtails, do they have a defensive plant, for example? Not really. Um, the, so huh. the monarch is, is slightly toxic, but there's another butterfly that looks a whole lot like it. It's yep. called the viceroy. And mm-hmm. so the mechanism is mimicry. It looks like the monarch. And so the birds look at it and go, well, I'm not going to take a chance. So that's pretty cool. But <laughs> Defense mechanism for the giant swallowtail is that it looks like bird poop already. So the birds are like, yeah, no. That's Wait, a minute, it looks like bird poop? <laughs> That's the defense? No. So the swallowtail, now well, if, if I remember, there's a black swallowtail, a zebra swallowtail, a tiger swallowtail. There might be more, but those are the ones that oh, I there's remember. A, there's a, ton there's of a bunch of swallowtails. Yeah, there's a bunch of swallowtails. Um, swallowtail is anything that the two lower wings have that uh-huh. extra tab on them that right. makes it a swallowtail okay and they come now, in all kinds that, of shapes and sizes is that named after the bird the swallow which has a v tail in other words which came first yep. the bird or the butterfly i, mean, I don't know i just find that you know. <laughs> Who, whoever named it first is what came first okay i'm curious how animals get their uh-huh. names you know it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. okay so what are the what are the most predominant uh, native butterflies in the florida panhandle um, probably the black swallowtail. And um, I saw a whole bunch of tiger swallowtails this spring. They were all over the place. Mm-hmm. So, um, They're the yellow, right? Sulfur, yellow and black? No. So the tiger swallowtail? Yellow and black. Yeah, okay. yellow and black. And it has stripes on it. And mm-hmm. then um, the cloudless sulfur is a, is a kind of larger yellow, all yellow one. Those are, you'll see those all over the place right is now. Is that and the or whatever that's called? Is that hard name to pronounce? <laughs> Is, is that what those Go are? Fritillary. Fritillary. Are they in the fritillary family? 
Fritillary, no, they're not. But the okay. um, the Gulf Fritillary is is um, the host plant for that is the passion flower vine. Have you seen okay. that? No, it I, I wouldn't know what it looked like. Flower. What's it look like? Oh, it's it's like it's purple, usually purple. Sometimes they're maroon, but they're mm-hmm. they're just like out of this world. They look like a spaceship of a flower, totally different oh. from any other flower. It's okay. really neat. But, um, that's their host plant. So right now the Gulf Fritillaries are, this is their season. They started out a little bit late this year, but people will see those, they're orange, kind of long wing with mm-hmm. um, speckles on them. And they're, they're just now coming into their, their season. So they're all over the place. So it's called a passion vine, the one you were talking about? Passion, yeah, passion flower vine. Passion and, flower vine, um, okay. careful, Careful where you plant it. It can it can be tend to be a little bit invasive, so it'll huh. come up ten feet away and cover an entire fence. And it, it's one of those things that you put in a place and you expect it to take over. Hmm. And then is there um this, this time of year the caterpillars eat them all down, so huh. they have like six. Well, can you, is it possible, like, I like to, you know, do the kill two birds with one stone thing. If you planted oranges, maybe avocados, grapefruits, citrus plants, limes, uh, those attractive to butterflies also so that you get the benefit of, of the fruit, plus you get really cool butterflies and hummingbirds. Exactly. Do they? Are, are, Although, are, are, are fruit, uh, fruit trees attractive to butterflies? Yeah, absolutely, because all, all, every time you get a fruit, whether um, it's, a vegetable fruit, you know, that's a fruit. Mm-hmm. It needs that pollinator to, you know, do its thing on the flower so right. that you can get the fruit do without the pollen. Hey, it works. Nature works <laughs> in many ways, yeah. yeah. Science. Sciencey. Yep. Biology. But, um, Look it up, folks. Birds, the bees, the trees, the flowers. Well, yep. Okay, fine. They, they <laughs> need the pollinator. Report. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you said grapefruit. Uh-huh. And um, a couple other things, and, and avocados. Fruit. I wish we, I wish we could grow avocados up here. The problem is up here in North Florida, they're not real frost tolerant. So oh. you know, coming from California, I, I planted a couple right away and yeah. and killed them. Yeah, huh. we just get a little bit. That's too the only two cold, things but... I miss. The only two things I miss from California is fog in the summertime and a 65 degree temperature and avocados. Other than that, you can have the steak. Yep. But if I could get my avocados in my fog, I'd be happy. You know, trade that 100-degree right. heat for 65 degrees overcast and foggy. Uh, the Gulf fog would be great. We don't have it, but it wouldn't bother me a bit. But avocados, you know, I miss really – well, California has the best. Mexico is very close second. But can they grow them mm-hmm. here or, or they don't grow here? Maybe not in the panhandle. There's, no, they, there's only a couple kinds of avocados, and they're, they're not going to look like the Haas avocado like the, you're uh, used to with the bumps Haas on them. Is the they're going to be like – yeah. The Florida avocados where they're giant and they have a giant mm-hmm. pit in them also and more of a mm. uh, smooth skin. That's what I planted, but in in my area I got a little too cold for those too. So mm. you have to you have to know what works in your zone. So there's a couple citrus that'll grow up here. Um, mm-hmm. Meyer lemon is one, and satsumas. Satsumas do well. But, what are those? Um, what are satsumas? Satsumas are like those little tangerine things. Okay. Yeah. But um, navel oranges, forget about it. Okay. And grapefruit, not so much. Limes, mm. no. 
Yeah. Mm, so, too bad. Um, and, and, and key limes, of course, are southern Florida and the Keys, which is where they come from. Right, right. So mm-hmm. if you want to do some kind of vegetable gardening or, or put in some trees and stuff like that, check with your extension agent, mm-hmm. you know, your county extension office, because and no matter where you are in the country, there's extension offices out there, and then they'll tell you what grows in this area or in your you area. Know, they provide such a huge service, and I think they're one of the most underutilized. They're taxpayer paid for. It's a free service. It's usually with a university and a, and a county, and they kind of work together. I think University of West, Flor- mm-hmm. West Florida works with uh, both Escambia and Santa Rosa County Extension Services. These extension service people are amazing. They will help you with gardens. They'll help you with plants. They'll help you with, I guess, landscape advice, even grasses, although I hate grasses. Um, you know, they're, they're amazing people, and they love what they do, and it's a service that's available. And I don't think anywhere near enough people take advantage of it. I mean, the homeowner developers, the developers don't take advantage of it, I don't think. I've seen the way they totally strip, okay. you know, entire communities. They, they, build, they put in lawns. They make them devoid of any interesting plants whatsoever. And I think the, cooperative, the, the cooperatives would love to go and say, look, you got, here's this area. This plant will grow best in this area. You're this place on the water table. You're at this elevation. You know, here's your rainfall. Here's your, your wind. You know, these are the plants that are going to grow the best and the fastest and the strongest and hold the soil down. Why don't you consider that? But they don't do it. They're idiots. Our, our developers here are morons. Lawns and houses that fit in, in suburban Atlanta that have no business being here. And yet we have this incredible well, service and, they, and people don't take advantage of it. They buy all of their plants and everything in such bulk because, you know, people aren't, when they buy a brand new house, they want to see a shrub already, you know? So, mm-hmm. They grow stuff like that'll grow fast and do really good for a minute, and then five years down the line, it might be overgrown for the space, you know, mm-hmm. um, just the wrong plant for that place. Yeah. The but they strip everything. You get a new housing development, the first thing they do is they strip all vegetation and leave our, our red clay sand stuff. We have really okay. red soil here. You know, it's, it's amazing. But they clear cut everything. And then, of course, the cheapest thing to throw in is lawn and sod. You know, sod lawn, and they just drop it on the on the ground. And there's no plants, there's no trees. They take out all the cool trees, they take out all the cool plants, and of course that takes the birds out and takes the flowers out. And there go the butterflies and the hummingbirds. And uh, pretty soon you've got this stark, you've got basically a desert of lawns and new houses, and and all the animals have, have gone. And I don't know how to to encourage these these developers to to work with the land that's already there, work with the plants that's already there. I'm sure it's more expensive you know, to carve out a, yeah. the area for the house. Of course, that means they're not going to do it, but it'd be nice if they did, you know, it'd be nice to have some kind of uh, requirements that developers work with the native plants and don't touch the trees and build around them. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I would love to see that too. The only way that that would even possibly happen is if they get some kind of a monetary incentive somewhere, you got to follow the money, you know, okay. they're doing mm-hmm. this super fast and super cheap. And then, let the homeowner figure it out later. But if they had a monetary incentive to use the right kind of plants, you know, then maybe they'll look at it. Only well, I wrote follow a the bouncing plan. ball. Yeah, I wrote a management plan for Santa Rosa County that included open space, preservation of farmland, you know, tourism, uh, preserving downtown Milton by increasing the historic uh, area, uh, and some other things like that. And uh, a lot of people like it, but it's not making any, any waves with government yet. Um, anything you want to talk about with any of your other groups um, that with the, and all the other stuff you do, or you want to stick to this and save the other stuff for next time, or, or what? Uh, we got about five minutes, five, six minutes. Well, if anybody is interested in joining a garden club, just um, 
you know, look us up. There's Milton Garden Club of Florida. We're Milton Garden Club FL. And then um, there's there's lots, lots of in other ones in the area. So if you're not in okay. Milton, we can hook you up. And then, gosh, come see the flower show in the Pensacola Interstate Fair. Mm-hmm. That's That'll show you what grows. And, and you'll see examples of, you know, the very best of what is available around here that you can grow. Kind of and fun. let's get your uh, Facebook page again and any websites. And then I've got a couple more questions. We'll get all the contact stuff um, out here and make sure people have it. Yeah, go ahead. We're Butterflies in Motion on Facebook. I don't have a website or anything up yet because um, that costs money and takes time. <laughs> I'd rather be no outside kidding. playing with the dog. <laughs> so oh, yeah. maybe someday I'll get around to it. But, like, you know, normally I'm outside. You know, if I have to be on the computer, it's misery. So, mm. Yeah. Follow As us someone on that works Facebook. many hours a day on a computer, I know what you mean. Um, okay. Well, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's good. Hey, uh, the other thing I thought of, too, is, is bees. We've got uh, nationally, nationally, we have a bee problem. Uh, bees are dying by the millions. I don't know if anybody's quite sure why, but bees, butterflies, and yeah. hummingbirds are all pollinators. And so do you mm-hmm. work with bees? Have you heard about bees? Do you know a beekeeper I could get onto the show to actually talk about this particular issue too? Or maybe the extension cooperative uh, if I want to do it. But um, do you have any insight on, on, yeah. on the bee problem or is it what's going on with that that you can tell us? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, everything, everything that I do with the Garden Club and all these other groups, they all intertwine, you know. So, of course, mm-hmm. I know beekeepers. And there is um, Santa Rosa Beekeepers Association. Mm-hmm. And they they would be glad to tell you all about bees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I if can, you can I contact can them for me, and then, yeah, get us in touch. Santa Rosa Beekeepers. Okay. Because mm-hmm. if you already know, and you know what? Than, yeah. Uh huh. My garden. Um, I have raised beds in one of my gardens. It's um, where I usually do all the vegetables and stuff. But mm-hmm. I have a back issue right now, so I kind of let it go, do whatever it's going to do. And I have lime basil all over that took over, and it is mm. such a pollinator-friendly plant. There are so mm. many bees and butterflies and everybody hanging around it. So, you know, usually when you basil, you want the leaves, and then mm-hmm. when it bolts is when it flowers, and then it kind of changes the taste of the leaves. So if you're growing it for the herb, it's, it's not a good thing when it flowers. But if you just let it do its thing, oh, my goodness, it, it's um, very busy out there. Very, That's very wonderful. Busy. So, how, how big do the plants get? Yeah. Do they get pretty – are they trees or plants, or what is, what is a basil? What does it look like? Um, basil is going to be an annual. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes it will reseed itself. So, like, my lime basils, I didn't plant any of this. It just came back from seed from last year. So. Mm. Kind of a kind of a reseeding perennial, but um, they're just little green globes, you know, about two feet tall and about two feet wide. Nice mm. little round plant with lots and lots of little flowers all over it. Interesting. And it smells um, good when you pull them up. <laughs> well, that's something too. It smells like basil, of course, you know. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And rosemary smells like rosemary, and thyme smells like thyme, and then you start singing parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme, and then you're Simon and Garfunkel. Um, yeah. Seeds. Let's talk about that. I've heard that uh, uh, we used to have, for example, I heard we have a, we used to have about 140 uh, species of apples, for example, and they were regional and local. 
and they'd adapt it to various areas. And you could actually, you know, back in the 1800s, we had about 140 apples. Now I think we have, what, 12 <laughs> or less, you know, in the homogenization right. of, of, of agriculture. Uh, are you, are you, are, and I heard that seeds are a problem, too, especially an annual. An annual has to be planted every year. It only lives a year, right? So you need to plant a new one of whatever it mm-hmm. is, like the basil. Okay, so seed, yeah. are there seed restrictions? Are seeds getting better? Are they getting easier to find? Can you, uh, are they all annuals now where you have to buy new seeds next year? Or can you plant, you know, are there, are there plants available that are annuals where you plant them once, <clears throat> excuse me, and they keep coming back? You know, what's, what's the seed situation? It depends on which kind of plant. So it's, it's all different. Okay. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff, um, produce that you'll see in the stores, it's, um, GMO, you know, genetically modified, and mm-hmm. their seeds are sterile, so they won't they won't produce the same kind of plant. So um, there's a lot of people that are working on heirloom seeds, you know, What's that saving mean? those What's saving those um, saving those species, like you were saying, all those trees, um, apples that don't exist anymore. So mm-hmm. some people are going in there and trying to harvest and save the heirloom species like um, tomatoes and and things like that the original varieties of those of those fruits so yeah seed saving is a whole whole different thing mm-hmm. but I, I have am. a contact for that too <laughs> see I, I need, <laughs> see this is this is my theory that every guest leads to five more guests that's my that's my formula uh-huh. and so mm-hmm. we want beekeepers we want seed you know protectors. I want to know about heirloom plants. And you can't remanufacture it. Even if you have the genetic code of, of an heirloom uh, tomato, for example, it's not going to taste the same if you, if you genetically engineer it uh, as opposed to saving the natural one because you never quite duplicate nature, right? It's never quite the same. Right. Yeah. And, Save your plants. you know, if you, uh-huh. do, if you want to do wild, fl- wild fire, wild flowers, oh my goodness, I told you I was going to Take trip two. over my words today. Yeah, listen, you made it through an hour. You know, we talked about butterflies for an hour. Did you think you were going to do that? I could do it for two days. Are you kidding? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but um, wildflowers, there's um, a mowing, a not mowing, you know, program with DOT, Department mm-hmm. of Transportation, where they're not mowing the roadways in order to encourage the wildflowers that are, oh, that's you know, good. and then I have a really great contact for that too and she can talk about wildflowers like i can talk about butterflies can we do lawn conversion can we get rid of the grass and start planting more wild plants wildflowers that'll take care of themselves people so you don't have to sit out there in your tractors <laughs> you know kicking up dust and sending stones into our car windows <laughs> people do they don't realize what those, those, those things blast a lot of air i don't know I just, to me it's mm-hmm. like the greatest waste in the world is growing a lawn seeding the lawn feeding the lawn cutting the lawn you know, getting rid of the, 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 the trappings of it, sitting on your mower in the heat. I mean, I can't think of anything mm-hmm. more waste of time than, than a lawn. I'm sorry. I just, I have a lawn prejudice. I, I see that. I sense that. <laughs> well, I'm thinking is, can, are, can the cooperative services, uh, we're a little bit over time, but that's okay. Uh, unless you have to go uh, just a couple, just like another, just real quickly here. But are there corporate, can you contact the cooperative extension services and is, are there any programs to convert lawns to gardens and wildflower places and native plants, for example? I don't know of any programs right now, but um, you can definitely ask for the extension service to um, give you ideas and, you know, tell you what to plant instead of a lawn. 
Yeah. Okay. That's, that's what they so, do. And there do you have a contact University for them? Where do I yes. find them? University of Florida, not UWF, is with the extension service. But, um, yeah, the, the county extension office. So University of Florida anyway. is statewide? Their extension uh-huh. services is, oh, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, and so the county extension. So are they are they separate or are they the same? Do the the university and the county create one extension service, or are there different ones? That's my last question. Um, yeah, they they're under a dean at the University of Florida. So in in okay. Florida, at least that's the college that backs them up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh. Well, listen, this thank you very fun. much. This is this has been fun. I mean, uh, Pianki, do you have any last questions for Jennifer? I'm getting back on the line here. I love doing different topics like this. <laughs> going once, going twice? He's probably having tea sitting back going, oh, that was really interesting. Yeah, great. Oh, me, my turn. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> or he's, Jen- he's, we put him to sleep. <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I think this is quite fascinating. But um, have a great weekend. Yeah, this and, is fascinating. And, yeah, okay, good. So there you go. Do you have any last questions for Jennifer before she goes? No, keep slapping your wings. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, so, so yeah, have a great weekend. And next week sometime when, uh, when the spirit moves you, if you can get me in contact with some of these folks. And like I say, beekeepers, extension service, you know, seed preservation, all that kind of stuff uh, is critical. I have a sure. very strong interest in all those things. And, uh, and it may result in, in local legislation, too. I mean, that's what we do here. And we haven't even talked about that today because we didn't really need to. But any, any type of habitat preservation, of especially, you know, working with the, the developers so that they actually, you know, promote, you know, local landscapes, you know, for their homes as opposed to, you know, Michigan lawns. I'm not picking on Michigan. I just mm-hmm. just what I happen to think of, all right? You know, they have all suburban homes all lined up there. But, yeah. So if you want to give your website to get into our Facebook page one more time. And, Jennifer, thank you very much. This has been fun. Thank you. Butterflies in motion. Like and follow our page. And that's gets the word out. Sounds good. All right, let's play a couple more things, and and then we'll be out of here for this week. Pianki, do you have any last word for this week? And I'm going to play some stuff. And then uh, our our founding moments, our our, uh, founding our Federalist Papers, that kind of stuff. No, just uh, everyone, keep your eyes open and your ears perked, and uh, have a safe, nice weekend. Sounds good. All right, sir, I'll talk to you next week, too. And Jennifer, come on back anytime. I mean, you're welcome on the show. You don't need an announcement. You don't need an invitation. If you have an announcement to make, you know, if you, if you just want to take like two minutes or 10 minutes or whatever, it doesn't matter. Just uh, hop on board, especially if we have an open hour discussion and say, hey, here's what's going on. And if you want to set up a regular okay. time, like a, like a weekly five-minute call in on, on Fridays and say, hey, here's the news. Here's the Garden Club this week or, or here's the extension service or just do a weekly announcement of something, we can easily set that up too. Okay. Sounds good. Have a good weekend, y'all. You too. And here's more stuff for you. Bye. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, W-Y-L, to the discount code window at checkout. W-Y-L comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, 
and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty, no guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. This is Greg Penglos for Action Radio with Founding Moments. Insights into our founding documents, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers here in Santa Rosa County, Florida. Santa Rosa Volunteers is available at their website, srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. This is one of the shortest of any Federalist or Anti-Federalist papers and gets right to the main issue of taxes in the first paragraph. It's written by Cincinnatus, whom we've heard from before. And this paper is in response to Hamilton's Federalist Number 12 plan for the United States to make lots of money under the Constitution. He begins Anti-Federalist Number 12. On the subject of taxation, in which powers are to be given so largely by the new Constitution, you lull our fears of abuse by venturing to predict that the great revenue of the United States must and always will be raised by impost, and you elevate our hopes by holding out the reviving and supporting the national credit. If you have any other plan for this than by raising money upon the people to pay the interest of the national debt, your ingenuity will deserve our thanks. Supposing, however, that raising money is necessary to payment of the interest and such a payment is requisite to support the credit of the Union, let us see how much will be necessary for that end, and how far the impost will supply what we want. 
He then proceeds in a bunch of numbers to back up his claim that the scheme basically won't work, will cost more than expected, and taxes will have to be raised. All the same problems we have today in the trillions of dollars of national debt. The money to run the country is supposed to come from imposts, which are taxes on imported goods. What Cincinnatus is questioning is whether the figures of revenue raised are accurate or intentionally misleading. This leads to the accusation still around today that government officials are either stupid or liars. He says, We know too that our imports diminish yearly and from the nature of things must continue to diminish and consequently that the above estimate of the produce of the impost will in all probability fall much short of the supposed sum. But even without this, it must appear that you were either intentionally misleading your hearers or were very little acquainted with the subject when you ventured to predict that the great revenue of the United States would always flow from the impost. This also documents the long-standing practice that government revenues will be short of estimates and costs will be higher. Cincinnatus then correctly states that when the federal government can't cover its bills the way it says it can, they will go to the states to cover the debt. And that is a great reason not to ratify the Constitution. The power to tax is uncontrolled with regard to the states. He says... It will be expected that the new government will provide for this also, and such expectation is founded not only on the promise you hold forth of its reviving and supporting public credit among us, but also on this unavoidable principle of justice, that is, the new government takes away the impost and other substantial taxes from the produce of which the several states paid the interest of their debt or funded the paper with which they paid it. The new government must find ways and means of supplying that deficiency in hard money for paper cannot be used without a violation of the principles it boasts. Cincinnatus is really good at explaining things and doesn't need any help from me. In his final paragraph, he clearly delineates the differences between the current Articles of Confederation and the proposed Constitution and talks of the realities of the former compared to the expectations of the latter. Well, expectations are easy to declare, but much harder to meet, which is the point of the final paragraph, that the Federalists simply want the people to trust them and they will manage everything. Sound familiar? However, Cincinnatus warns that the more likely end for such an all-encompassing grant of power is that the wealth will be squandered, the revenues will not be raised, and the full faith and credit of the United States will be ruined. And now, the national debt stands at some $30 trillion. Cincinnatus concludes, The present government promises nothing. The intended government, everything. From the present government, little is expected. From the intended one, much. Because it is conceived that to the latter much is given, to the former little. 
and yet the inability of the people to pay what is required in specie remaining the same, the funds of the one will not much exceed those of the other. The public creditors are easy with the present government from a conviction of its inability to pay. They will be urgent with the new one from an opinion that as is promised, so it can and will perform everything. Whether the change will be for our prosperity and honor is yet to be tried. Perhaps it will be found that the supposed want of power in Congress to levy taxes is, at present, a veil happily thrown over the inability of the people, and that the large powers given to the new government will, to every one, expose the nakedness of our land. Certain it is that if the expectations which are grafted on the gift of those plenary powers are not answered, our credit will be irretrievably ruined. Action Radio is now sponsoring a constitutional amendment to remove the power of Congress to borrow money. The source for the Federalist Papers is federalistpapers.org. The Anti-Federalist Papers are from selfeducatedamerican.com. The Articles of Confederation are from usconstitution.net. This is Greg Penglis for Action Radio with Founding Moments, sponsored by Santa Rosa Volunteers. Their website is srv1776.com. That's srv1776.com. Please share this report to anyone who needs it. Well, this has been a pretty incredible week. Um, We've had some amazing shows, and as usual, it's like I, I try to recap them in my head, but it's just it's hard to do. So you need to go to uh, blogtalkradio.com/slash/citizenaction. Check out all the shows, uh, read the show notes, see what you want to listen to, and uh, listen to it in pieces. I mean, sometimes there's so much information you can't possibly uh, cover an entire show in one sitting. Um, I wouldn't. I do it because I can. Uh, and that's why I have all those different topics per show because uh, it keeps my interest too. So that's how we do it. Anyway, back Monday morning uh, at seven o'clock. And that's going to be consistent. Now we've uh, the world's greatest doctors panel has ended for now. And uh, I, ne- I never say never because you never know what's going to happen here day to day. I don't know. A lot of times I don't even know the show I'm going to do until the night before because stuff happens. So we try and keep up with all that. Anyway, 7 a.m. Central Time is our start time Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and then 6 a.m. Friday. Friday's a little bit earlier, but either 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. for three hours, unless we run overtime, uh, is how we do it. So have yourself a wonderful weekend. And I will see you Monday back here, 7 a.m. Central Time. And, of course, you can catch us on podcasts 24-7, going all the way back to almost a thousand shows now. So we've got a lot, a lot of information for you to, uh, to listen to. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. 
The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.